That's the worst transaction. Yeah. We sold out and we didn't get anything in return. It's all over now. <sighs> okay, tell us the tell us the news. Alright, how about I start with uh, <laughs> saying hello to everybody. Hello everybody, this is the Fuck on Kill podcast. The show where you sit down and listen to us talk. <laughs> hello everybody, this is the podcast. Um brought from you brought to you live from the podcast stop stop clicking things uh yes this is no. the, yes stop now um no. this is a revolutionary podcast where you listen and we <clears throat> talk and what we talk about is films that is also a absolutely new concept we came up with that yeah but my name is Mache. i feel like i have not introduced myself this season so since we're halfway through this <laughs> no. season everybody's just listening like who is this man <laughs> that's just the anticipation who is, is killing them they, the anticipation so. yeah uh <laughs> yeah so my name <laughs> my name is Machi and i get it i talk about things on this podcast and i never talk my, about things oh. outside of the podcast <laughs> my name is abby and my voice exists solely for this podcast as soon as we stop recording i am mute uh, yes, we are uh, trapped in the prison of an internet podcast and we're trying to get out. And no one's paying and us. No one's paying us for it. It's crazy. That's insane. Where's our rights? Exactly. Podcaster rights. <laughs> Stand with us. This be, it'd be nice. Oh, what's the... Hmm. I started thinking about this and I thought, started thinking about incels and how incels have Joker now to kind of stand up for <laughs> incel rights. Um, I think well, the only film that stands up for podcaster <clears throat> rights is Kevin Smith's Tusk, which is a depressing thought. Is that about podcasts? Well, it was conceived during the podcast, like the Tusk film. It's kind of came, like the idea came from a Kevin Smith podcast that he was doing. And it starts with a podcast. Oh. It starts with recording a podcast. Um, Do you think that anyone's been conceived during our podcast? Um no <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you for your yeah, honesty there you go. that's that's how it goes um <laughs> yeah so um in a recurring segment i talk my, about my dating life so here's the here's the segment i got so we didn't talk about my hinge experiences in a while because yeah i don't know i thought we were doing it there every day and was kind of report. boring like every week i mean uh, if there was nothing to report i guess it would be boring yeah but um, what I did is I took, not a lot, but a few screenshots of things that I found funny. Now, I don't want it to be like, a, you know, I'm not doing this to make fun of anybody in particular. I just thought those are funny things that I've seen. Like funny prompts and stuff like that that you see on a dating app once you go through with it. I'm going to start with something for you. I don't know if you can see it, but this is a picture that somebody had on their profile. Uh... Which is a knee. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that just their leg? This is just their leg. This is just a leg of a person. Just, their, just one leg, just their knee and nothing else <laughs> on the picture. I would like to say is that... Is there anything happening with their knee? I... Like, is there any reason that they've taken a picture of it? Well, Abby, um, none that I can think of. Um, but it's been, you know, there, there's been a few of those on this profile, by the way. It's not the only picture of that knee. I think there were two or three, oh. um, which I found curious. 
I don't know why you would post a picture of your knee on a dating app. It, it's, it's very particular. Um, yeah, I can't say I've ever done that before. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny to me, except that the rest of the profile was not very funny. So oh. it led me to believe that I think it's maybe serious. Um, yeah, so I don't know why you would do that. But anyways, that's it. Yeah, like if it, was, if it was a joke, I'd be incredibly entertained. Yeah. But if it's like, I'd be like, yeah, let's match. Let's have a chat. This is great. And this is my knee. Well, I guess it's good to be open <laughs> about how your body looks like. I guess a knee is part of a human being. But, um, yeah, it doesn't really tell me much. It's a knee. Looks a bit flat. That's all I can say. Um, anyways, um, I have a few that I really like. Um, and the rest of those ones are, I think, very funny, most of them. So this one, the prompt for dating me is like, somebody said... Dating me is like trying to pack your groceries into your shopping bag at the till in Little. <laughs> I think it's very deep, and I'm not sure what that means, but I think it's hard to manage. Yeah, stressful. Um, mm. Lots of time pressure. They're not pressure. selling themselves very well. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I take a lot of bad things from it, but it's also so elaborate uh, of a metaphor that I, I can't like stop myself from being intrigued. Mm. Trying to pack your groceries. What does it all mean? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know what it means, but it's been used there. Another one is dating me is like a tragedy, all caps, uh, full stop at the end. <laughs> is that yours? No, uh, well, it should be, I guess. <laughs> that was pretty funny, I think. I think I have one more. Oh, the one thing you should know about me is. I am really annoying, haha, and have a blind dog. Oh my god. Which is, um, I guess, um, well, those are things that I guess you should share about yourself. But also, those are two things I would just like to say to that person. Uh, two things about you. Also, I don't know if it's something about you that you have a blind dog, but okay. Uh, That's more about your dog. Yeah. I also have, I want someone who is a guy version of me, upside down smiley face. Upside down. Why did they put in the upside down smiley face? Like that makes it like if they just said they want a guy version of them. It. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Why the upside down smiley face? Because it's just I guess it's like them but upside down. I don't think that's what they're doing. I feel like they were just like this is the podcast. I mean, <laughs> this is the podcast. You're right. This is the emoji to really express how I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, and there's one that I've already sent to you, which I like a lot anyway, is my greatest strength, my greatest strength. And somebody says, I'm nice, really nice. Like I will come to your house and make you food to see you smile. Kind of nice. I don't know if it's nice when I read it out. It's like, it sounds nice because I read it out that way. But when I read it, I was like, that's really creepy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will come to your house. I don't care if you want me to. I'm going to come to your house. No, I'm nice. I'm oh, really nice. I swear I'm really nice. So nice. I'm so nice. Really nice. Uh, anyways, I thought those were pretty funny most of the time. Um, yeah, so that's 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 a few things I, I gathered from my hint journey across the last few weeks. If you're wondering, if the listener is wondering how my life is going, uh, I did. They have been. I did this, so I don't know. Draw your own conclusions. <laughs> 
Well, we got um we got our first email. Holy shit! I did not know about that. Okay. (laughs) All right. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was like a one of those automatically generated ones, but it's from James. Um, I'm not gonna say their full email address because I. I mean, they're not listening, but like, I'm not gonna say their full email address. Um. It, it's I created they created a tool for podcasters oh, that helps oh. them get more ratings and reviews mm. and to track their reviews in every app. He said it's designed for individual podcasts like yours, and I'm trying to get some more podcasts using it. I found your show in Apple Podcasts, and then he said something that's quite funny. I realize your time is valuable. <laughs> says who? Who says my time is valuable? Okay, I got nothing better to do, James. Um. Yeah, he just wants us to use his tool. It's like bold of you to assume we're getting reviews, James. Uh. Well, he saw Apple Podcasts, so I'm sure he didn't see any reviews there. But okay. <laughs> he was like, "I've seen that you like don't have any reviews, so maybe you should start getting them." That's a good point. It says, "Um, so triple your podcast ratings and reviews. So it's basically you create a memorable link to read on air." Listen, guys, I realize your time is valuable. Uh-huh, that's what James said. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So that's the link. We can embed it on our website, but yeah, we're gonna wait and see if it's actually a legit thing. Yeah, maybe we should I mean write, listen, write James he, back. He owns the domain ratethispodcast.com. I mean that if that's not legitimate, then I don't know what is. I'm sure you can't exactly. just register a domain like that without any no, sort of you have to there's yeah it's really difficult it's, to register a it's a difficult process it's, yeah it's really really hard lots of legal things it took us all. it took us months yeah it was hard we do have a millions in legal fees thank you yeah well, well thanks that, that was I it was that was Abby. the podcast thank you that was Abby. this is the rate this podcast podcast rate this podcast. <laughs> the only thing <laughs> that you do is for you to, you come in and then you we ask you to rate it and then you have we leave yeah, that's, that's it's it. a great business. <laughs> Please, it's really good. It's like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> if you rate our podcast, we'll rate your podcast, which is about rating podcasts too. Whoa, rate for rate. That's crazy. Thanks. Bye. Uh, no, so Mache. Yeah. Now that we've talked about nothing <laughs> of, of um, value. Of value, yes. <laughs> what What movie did we watch this week? Great question. On our podcast. Great question on this cast pod. We watched a very special film uh, called uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975, uh, directed by Jim Sharman. Um, what else has he directed? Uh, not much. Uh, namely, he directed this and the uh, Rocky Horror sequel and um, a bunch of things that nobody remembers, I think, around... Oh, I guess he directed it. He directed the Rocky Horror show on the West End. Oh, okay. So he's maybe more LA of a theater guy cuz his film yeah. yeah, filmography is not that. His correct. credits are mostly his credits are mostly theater. Yeah. Uh well that makes sense cuz Rocky Horror was a was a musical show at first and became a <laughs> film later on. Um Yes. Pretty soon after. I think they 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 staged that in what, 73, 72 something like that. Mhm. Uh, so yeah, it was on it was so it's based on the 73 stage musical. Yeah. And it went, it went West End, L.A., Australia, then into Europe, and then Broadway, and then it became the film. They made the film out of it. Yeah. So it was like pretty successful off the bat. I think the show was, and then the, 
the film was not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, but I mean, is that like they made the film because it was like immediately successful, or not immediately, but like no, it was immediately successful. Yeah, I'd say so. If it's seventy three and then seventy five, the film, <clears throat> then yeah, I guess they had to have some success with it. Um, yeah. yeah, so the musical is, is written and uh, composed by Richard O'Brien, who is also the co-writer of the film and an and actor, performer in this. Um, and also the former um, host of The Crystal Maze. Oh, I did not know that. What's The Crystal uh-huh. Maze? Is that like a TV it's show? A... <coughs> it's a game show. Crystal Maze. I'm, try- I'm trying to realize what like how to describe it. Mm-hmm. So... The Crystal Maze. It is a British game show. It was a great show. Me and Megan watched it. Me and my sister watched it all of the time. Um. So Richard O'Brien presented it from 1990 till 1993. Oh, okay. Um. And now, and they like remade it in like 2016, and then from 2017, Richard Ayoade um presented it. All right. Yeah, Richard is doing but a lot of stuff like that, right? Yeah, it's a very fun game show. It's like, um, it's it's like a pre-recorded thing, mm. um, and basically, there's like you have to get these crystals and you have to do like these weird obstacle kind of puzzle course thingies. Well, but I would say, it's good. I mean, I'm not sure what happened, but Richard O'Brien did this musical. I don't know what the stage, like what the theater or you know Broadway uh, history is of of his career but in terms of films he made this and then he made shock therapy and uh even though rocky horror is kind of a cult film right now and still makes money um shock treatment definitely didn't and rocky horror was also a bomb at start um so i would think that yeah he kind of disappeared and then yeah had to run shows and do stuff like that um i'm not sure if he made any other musicals it's something we can check i guess um but those are his only two film uh, things he did yeah he he did some more theater stuff i guess he was in an episode of no he was in phineas and ferb yeah i mean he he like stars in films like he does like i guess smaller roles and stuff like that but in terms of like writing something and creating a thing that's what i'm thinking yeah i think yeah i think that this is kind of his um big thing yeah well uh uh, anyways, yeah. So this is a, a film that is kind of, kind of a one of a kind thing uh, in a lot of ways, and maybe the first film. I think this is the first film that started the the um, the tradition of midnight uh, films, right? Of midnight showings, as in this film bombed and they didn't know what the hell to do with it, and then they started playing it at midnight screenings to high and, and drunk people, and suddenly it kind of clicked <laughs> and they started doing it all the time and people started developing their own kind of traditions around it. Um, so it was like the first room before room was a thing and uh, and also a good film. But <laughs> but anyways, yeah, but this is like the, the first, I think, film that kind of did something like this, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I think the th- thing about it as well is that like, um, given the time that it was released, 1975, and also like the themes of it it was immediately like it's something that's like it makes sense that it was a success in theater and then not a success in cinema because it's like it was it's a very like campy um it's like a you know it's a queer piece of art so it's like it's you know theater is the kind of place where like the lgbt community 
LGBTQ community yeah. like consumes or would have I guess at the time would have like consumed a lot of their I don't know how to describe it but you know it's like theater has always been more of a like <clears throat> inclusive environment that like in that kind of way um so it makes sense that it was successful in theater because the people are going to see it and they're like oh my god this is like so fun and camp and like you know all that kind of stuff whereas in film people would have gone to see you know a film yeah and then they would have been like what is this this is disgusting yeah no that's kind of true i think i think theater is in a lot of ways often very you know ahead of the game in terms of uh, like comparing it to to cinema i think cinema has been and i guess still is a very out there uh medium that people who are not interested in arts in any other <laughs> ways watch um yeah if you go to the theater i guess you're it's more of a snobbish thing now or like people do it who are like actually interested in stuff and want to f- see a thing that that talks about something if you go see a, a film you might as well go see it just to kind of i don't know have a drink or have a nap <laughs> i guess that's what a lot of people do in the cinema so yeah stuff like that Pretty maybe much. has a, a lot of a harder time finding its audience um than it would on a theater stage um but i think it's a success story that this film did and um I don't know. Is this the long? I think this is the longest running film that was in cinema. That you can still because you can still watch rock horror in cinemas. I think it's in a pretty, um, pretty uh, how do you call that? Um, Com- like commonly circulated. Yeah, yeah. Like it's still very yeah. It's very easy to see still in cinemas. So like in terms of distribution, mm-hmm. I think it's the only thing film that was running for so long. Uh, yeah I mean I think like because my my mom um was talking about it last night and how she I mean she, and she's told me about it lots of times before how she would go to see it um and you know they would do the whole like where you participate you know you bring rice to throw at the wedding yeah. you bring toast to when they're like raising a toast yeah. water guns when it's raining that kind of thing um like the I guess immersive experience of seeing mm-hmm. it um and so like she and she was like she wouldn't have that wouldn't have been like when it was first released because she was like eight when it was first released. So that I'm assuming would have been in like the eighties, you know, but yeah. it's something like she remembers pretty fondly and pretty well. Um, and it was definitely like around 10 years, at least after it was released. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, people didn't go to the premiere of this, you know, armed with, with water guns. Armed with toast. <laughs> yeah. No, that was not. <laughs> but yeah, thing. it kind of, it, it, it became like a cult thing sort of later. Yeah. I guess. I, I suppose it's one of those things that's like, it's the same as, I don't know. It's funny. There's a lot of things like that where it's like the audience that it's released to. It becomes the target audience, like the the target audience becomes like the children of the audience it was released to. Yeah. Like it's like it was thinking a bit more ahead. Yeah. In terms of like progressiveness and themology and everything. In a lot of ways, I don't think themology. Yeah. Word. I, in a lot of ways, I think you you watch rock horror now, and it's kind of hard to believe that it's a 1975 film, and in a lot of ways, in some ways, it's very easy to believe. I think, and I think it's definitely a you know a 70s film in a lot of ways um but also in terms of its aesthetics in terms of how it engages with you as a as an audience it's, it feels ahead of the game in a lot of ways and uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's campiness it's very out there campiness it's something that's you know gonna get a lot more um popular i guess or like more broadly accepted in the 80s uh and the 80s are kind of the you know the time of camp and when this all kind of starts coming to the forefront and if you look at the 70s cinema, 
you know, this kind of sticks out as a, as a sore thumb, maybe, of a thing that's, you know, different. So it's it's not really hard to see why people <laughs> went to see it <laughs> when it was released in 75 and were like, I don't know what to do with that. You know, what do I, <laughs> you know, even though it's like a film that's so drenched in in cinema that's a lot older than that, you know, it's it's a... You know, it starts in the 30s and kind of goes into the 60s, and that's mostly what it's inspired by. Um, but yeah, but the way it treats it is new, it's different. It's, well, exciting even now, I think. But at that point, I kind of get that people were maybe not ready <laughs> or didn't know how to approach it. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Also, you know, in terms of aesthetics, but also in terms of, yeah, themes for sure. You know, I don't know if there's another film from the 70s that's... Um, well, quite like this. Yeah, quite like that in terms of, I don't know, just portraying sexuality as open, you know, to that degree. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something that happens in film. And I think gender it, as well. Yeah, I think it happens in, in other forms of media, but maybe not in film. In film, it's kind of still mm-hmm. a bit of a, uh unexplored thing. And I think it's still a thing that's not, like, fully explored, honestly. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I find it hard to think of, of a <clears> film that's so... Um, I don't know, playfully sexual as Rocky Horror, you know, in terms of just how how it doesn't care, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're so so fluid and so fun and so, I don't know, like thoughtful of what it's doing, but also, I don't know, it's, it's a hard balance to strike when you're doing something like this and not to make it judgmental or, you know, or not to make it uh, feel like you're exploiting anybody. And I mm-hmm. think Rocky Horror does that. Um so yeah, I don't know. It still kind of stands out to me as something like this. It's it's hard for me to think of something else. Yeah, I don't know. The only thing I can... It, it's not in terms of like the sexual like playfulness or anything. So I feel like it's very much not about that. But um, the only kind of comparable, I feel like, thing I can think that's done the sort of same like move from like theater to cinema um, is like the likes of Rent, which was like in... It like debuted, I think, on, in like... Let me Google. Yeah. Rent debut. Broadway. I think it debuted in like nineteen ninety four or no, nineteen ninety six, I guess. Um so it debuted in like nineteen ninety six and then the film wasn't released until like two thousand five. So mm-hmm. like they waited longer to make it into a film because it was like, Well, I don't I mean this is like gonna be accepted by like the theatre community, but I don't know if maybe like the film world is ready for it. And like like to be fair, Rent was like nowhere near as big of a success yeah, <laughs> in yeah. terms of the film as Rocky Horror. Um For for but, a reason. It's for a reason, but yeah, it's not as good. Um, but <laughs> like, you. Yeah, but but you know, like it's the the same kind of thing of like you know, it's very much like a queer piece of art. You know, it's like you've got different levels of like queer couples. You feel like bisexual people, um, gay people, lesbians, etc. Um, and yeah, it's like I think the way they portrayed like the relationship, their relationships in Rent, like the most like the least toxic relationship was the like gay relationship and the more toxic ones were like the ones that were like kind of straight yeah so it's or the most toxic one was the straight couple so it's like that is something that people would have been like no this doesn't make any sense because being gay is actually wrong oh yeah, yeah so yeah. this is actually really unrealistic yeah well, I, so it's the same thing of like people weren't ready, I guess, for that kind of message. I feel like even in two thousand five. I mean, even now, there's a lot of people who aren't ready. For yeah, that message, yeah, so. I guess that's true. And I think Rocky it's Horror kind of a similar journey. I think Rocky Horror does an interesting thing in that particular department because it's everybody <clears throat> in Rocky Horror is is bisexual or like sexuality doesn't you know it's very much a spectrum thing, which is I think also another thing that kind of films struggle with in terms of 
you know, there's a gay character, there's a straight character, there's this character, and it's like a very label thing. Well, well, Rocky Horror is very, <laughs> very fluid in all of that. And oh, for sure. I don't think anybody here is really straight or gay. Um, and they're all kind of fall within somewhere on that, you know, scale, which is mm-hmm. also an interesting thing to do because it kind of, yeah, I think it bypasses that whole thing of, of, you know, who's gay, who's straight, you know, what kind of relationships they have with each other. They're all just kind of, I don't know. They all kind of have sex with. They're all just all horny. Yeah. They're all very horny. It's a very horny film, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> it is a very horny film. Uh, um, when, when you, when did you first see Rocky Horror? Uh, I think I saw it. When I was at college, I have a memory of watching this on like a shitty small, like a shitty copy on a small screen. So I, I, I had to be in college at some point, probably watching films on my little laptop somewhere, trying to catch up on things. So I think I watched it and I, I was kind of crazy about it for a while. And um, yeah, I saw that film many, many times. I don't I don't know how many times I've seen Rocky Horror, but it's been loads so of So you liked it? Oh yeah, I like I liked it a lot the first time I saw it, and then um, and then yeah, a few next times was just like I guess trying to find everything that I could find in it because there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. going on in this film. It's kind of interesting to me that this is such a midnight film that people go and kind of play around with because uh, sure it's very playful, but it's also like if you don't like there's a lot of stuff to digest here. So if you if you don't do it, then like I don't know. It's like there's a lot of stuff that you can just analyze. So it's I don't. Know, it's hard to do if you just see this film at midnight screenings. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I watched it a few times. But every time it was yeah either with somebody or you know by myself at my house. So I never had the the Rocky Horror experience. I guess. I I, <laughs> I, I, I never faked an orgasm in front of you know a full audience of people. So. Um, <laughs> I never. Why not? Because I um, I never fake an orgasm, um, so I had to do it for real. <laughs> what about you? Uh, <laughs> uh, um, if I've ever faked an orgasm, well, um, I don't know. You don't know? No, um, okay. I don't know. No, I have That's not. a political um, answer. <laughs> Why did you see the film? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess I've never had one. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no anyway i have not um when i first <laughs> you're, you're you're digging no, a hole ha- deeper for yourself i'm not even no, saying anything i meant i meant i have not faked one um no when i first saw rocky horror i think i was like 15 okay it's a good um, age because because i was like a musical theater lover mm-hmm. um when i was 15 or when like when i was a teenager i mean i still am but like at that time it was kind of i feel like i always sound really old when i talk about things like this but it's like back then being like a musical theater fan was like really difficult in ireland because it's like there wasn't all you kind of had to go off was like the cast recording Mm -hmm. like that's all you could listen to you couldn't like go see it so then there were certain things that you could like not studying even musical theater just musicals in general i really liked but it was harder to find them because if it wasn't a movie then it's like well what are you gonna do go to Broadway no you're 15 and poor so no that's not gonna happen um so like I think that's why I kind of like clung to things like Rent because it was it was a movie it was something I could access and I could listen to the recording Mm -hmm. but it was also a movie Mm -hmm. so I could you know listen to it um and watch it and then so it was at that kind of stage where I was trying to seek out different musicals that I could watch in full without it being Mm -hmm. like you have to listen to the recording and just like get a gist of what the rest of it is 
So like, whereas now you can watch musicals on YouTube, they've just got like bootlegs really easily accessible. I remember like trying to watch bootlegs um, and it was like you had to find the website where they would put them and like bookmark that and then eventually that website would be gone and you'd need to try and find another one and you'd be like Googling, but like it's hidden because it's something that shouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, bootlegs are bad, but also like, listen, not everybody has the money or is literally able to go to the theater if it's in a different continent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was the time where I was trying to watch different musicals. So I remember like I bought, um, like I had rent and I bought, um, Jesus Christ Superstar mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and dress with amazing technical dream crow and then i also bought rocky Horror picture show i think they were like the ones that were available on dvd yeah. like they're not like i mean joseph the amazing technical dream Co. is not the best musical ever i don't know what that is but it was a it's um it's andrew Lloyd weber as is oh, okay. superstar yeah, okay. i think um so it's like it's um it's about i guess it's biblical i kind of don't know anymore um <laughs> But I'm, but it's like it's fun, but it's very much one of those like it's you know it's a family friendly mm-hmm. musical, yeah. and I think I was kind of used to besides Rent, I was sort of used to like family friendly musicals because I think at that age in my brain, I guess musicals were just something that were family friendly. Yeah. Um, and then I came across Rocky Horror, and like you hear so much about it, it's like this cult film. Mm-hmm. You'd heard so much about it anyway, and I kind of didn't know. I guess when I initially heard about it, thought it was a musical. So then when I heard it was a musical, I was like, oh cool. Um, and so I got it. And I didn't like it mm-hmm. um, when I first saw it. And I think there's kind of a multiple amount. There's a multiple amount. There's multiple reasons for why I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like distinctly remember like being excited to see it and then watching it and being like, oh, this is a lot. Um, it's I definitely mean, a lot. I was, fif- I was 15. I was a little virgin baba yeah. in a Catholic school. Yeah. Still going to mass every Sunday. Yeah. Um, so, so it was like it was a lot and it wasn't that I was like it wasn't that I was you know intolerant or anything like that like I was very much I recently found an essay that I wrote when I was 13 <laughs> in um where did I find it I can't remember where I found it but it was about um it was in my emails I was looking back at like really old emails um it was like a project but it was like one page mm-hmm. um and it was about gay rights but it was at a time where I, again, with like the limited access you have to anything, it was like gay rights in my brain then was like for lesbians and for gay men. Like that's what I understood that community mm-hmm. to be because I was yeah, cause a child. Know, yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote that when I was like 13. Um, and so it wasn't that I was intolerant, but it was just that like I wasn't, I was uninformed. Yeah. Like we didn't have the same information or access to anything that like kids these days have. Um, so I didn't like know about, you know, again, it was like gender is a man and a woman relationships didn't need to be a man and a woman. But like in my brain, it was like a gender is a man and a woman. Um, sexuality is you like this or that. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the this or that is, but it's still like a this or that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think I even questioned that so, until I was like late high school, maybe. I don't know. It was a long time before this kind of started being a thing. Yeah. The concept, like, yeah, it wasn't really introduced. And again, like, and I think it's it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to, you have the same experience with like, looking back on your past and being like, oh, I had like some weird opinions back then. But like, what else? Like, I didn't know any better. 
It's to say, yeah. it's like, you can't criticize this for not knowing these things. Once you, like, develop and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I understand yeah, this now. Definitely. But anyway, so, yeah, I just didn't... It was just, like, it was such a strange... I don't know, concept. It was just, like, it was so different and something that was, like... It was so many new concepts being introduced to me that I think it was just, like, too much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, and I, th- I think the, the music at the time, to me, like, wasn't as fun or as, like, I guess, catchy as, like, other music I'd listened to. Yeah. So I just, like, didn't like it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, like, as I said, like, I had, I'd never kissed anybody or anything like that. So it was also just, like, <laughs> it wasn't that I didn't, like, have my own, like, understanding of sexuality or, like, you know, that I didn't have those feelings. But it was more that I was just, like, I don't, there's only so much sexuality I can understand right now. Yeah. And this is, like, a lot. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think if you approach, like, I mean, if you watch Rocky Horror and you don't have that, if you don't understand that sexual drive that's driving the film, I think it's really hard to understand what's happening even. Like, it's not yeah. very clear if you don't, yeah, if you don't, if you cannot engage with the horniness of it. If you're not horny yourself yeah. and you watch Rocky Horror, then I think it's just a bunch of gibberish. Um, yeah, exactly. It has to make you feel horny. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point of it like that's the that's what the film is about if you don't get yeah. that then you just then you don't get that yeah if you don't understand the the concept of being horny yeah which i think is one of those things well maybe you did understand like, that concept but maybe not at this level yet when you were 15 i think no i think that when i was 15 my understanding and again i was still like going to mass and everything and it was in an all-girls catholic school yeah. my understanding of like horniness at that stage was that like that was a male experience mm, mm, but it was like mm-hmm. men and boys get horny if girls do that's a problem and a sin yeah and so you, you know, saw so you like saw janet guess... and you, you you shouted slut like automatically you didn't even know about the whole thing you just were like slut it was like her boobies are out she's a slut um no but it wasn't even it wasn't that it was like any like slut shaming in my brain it was just that kind of well i guess there probably was like not not at the movie but in general i probably had that thing of like oh my god girl horny slut um and i mean i know that i had that with like friends who i guess started exploring mm-hmm. the sec the world of sexuality like earlier yeah i remember being like oh my god like why is she being such a slut and I, and like looking back like even like two years out like as soon as i just finished school it was like what the f- what the fuck yeah definitely and honestly if i think of myself when i was 15 and i was i was a bit early with that kind of stuff so i uh yeah, what? But by the time I was sixteen, maybe I think fifteen, maybe. But like sixteen, I was definitely like, yeah, sexually active is I guess what you call it. But if I mm-hmm. think of myself at that time watching Rocky Horror, I, I still don't think I would get it <laughs> because it yeah. was a different I mean, kind yeah, I of wasn't... experience. Still, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't in any way sexually active at that stage. Yeah. So I just like didn't understand the concept. Not, no, not that I didn't understand the concept, concept, but it was like I couldn't relate to it. Yeah, I could relate in the sense that it wasn't that I had not experienced horniness, but it was like whenever I did, it was like it was like you, I don't know, I, what's the word? Where you'd like I'd experience it or I'd feel it or whatever, and I'd be like, no, you're not allowed to experience that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was still. I remember googling if masturbation was a sin. I'm sure Google had great advice on and that. And it was. Yeah. Google said it was. God damn it. I remember, I remember reading a page about all of the different sins. There's a fucking thing. I have a memory in my head of, of going to, uh, of going to, like, probably one of my last times I went to confession. 
uh when, when i was a teenager and and fucking stressing out about talking to the priest about porn or, or something like that or or about masturbation one or the other and i just remember that fucking feeling of oh my god should i talk about it or should i not talk about it it was so stressful and i think i finally talked about it in some weird way like very around the topic and the priest just didn't care um it's one of my kind of experiences, I think, that remember that kind of, I guess, drew me away from religion because it felt like such a waste of time after it all happened. Yeah, the priest was like, I don't even care. And you're like, what? Well, you I know, you're supposed to. I think it was just one of those, you know, he was a priest and there was like a bunch of kids, you know, teenage kids in line to his, you know, to confession. And he had to listen to all those kids talk about all this stuff. So he was bored out of his mind, you know, when you're a 14 year old boy, like, you know, sure. Yeah. You, you, you jerk off. That's kind of it. And if you're, if you're a Catholic <laughs> boy, then yeah, then you, you have a lot of shame about that. And, um, and the priest had to listen to all that stuff and it was pointless for everybody involved. Ew. Um, also kind of creepy. When Sorry, you something think happened about to it, my yeah. <laughs> kind of priestly, kind of creepy is what I said, but we can say priestly. Oh, you <laughs> said kind of priestly. So, did you so come back to Rocky Horror later and kind of re reevaluate your opinion? No. This is the first time I've watched it since. Really? Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, I, like, I own it on DVD. Because, again, it was at the time before Netflix. So, it was like, if you want to see a movie, you either need to rent it or buy it. Yeah. Well, I own it on DVD um, as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I hadn't. I think I had it in my brain. I, and I, it's only, that's the thing, it's only yesterday when I was watching it that I, like, evaluated the reason i didn't like it when i first watched it yeah because i was like oh wait i feel differently about this interesting um because i think i just kind of i was like i guess i don't like rocky horror Mm -hmm. um but you know i and i was still kind of in my brain i was like the music i don't know if the music is that good except for like the time warp which is just like a fun party song and in general i was like i think the movie's just a bit weird yeah but i definitely felt differently about it interesting as a fully grown woman, um, you you engaged with as a people. fully grown, as a fully grown, um, no longer in school, no longer going to mass, having done you know, queer studies, yeah, modules, um, having, um, indeed committed um carnal sin. Yes. Um, is that what is that what it is? Carnal sin. Is masturbation a carnal sin? I don't is? know. No, I'd already done that. <laughs> no, carnal. What's it? <laughs> Whatever they call sex is carnal sin. Sex. Whatever they call sex. Carnal. I, I think sin. even the Catholic Church what tends is... to call it sex. A carnal sin is carnal, sensual, fleshy animal. What? The fuck? What? I think that carnal sin is sex. I think that. Anyway, having indeed road. Um. Yeah, definitely felt differently, but. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. It's it's weird because I think it's like back then I thought that I was a pretty like open minded person, and I mean I was for a fifteen year old yeah. girl at the time. But you know, by today's standards, I was not. Yeah, I just like wasn't homophobic, just... but I wasn't like open to the world. Yeah. of you know everything that's available out there. You are not ready to explore that part of yourself yet, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I was not, um, for some reason. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's start talking about the film. Uh, oh, no, uh, one thing I want to say before that. Um, I watched in preparation for this, because I've seen Rocky Horror so many times, I was like, I'm going to watch something else in preparation. Because, uh, yeah, I, I rewatched Rocky Horror yesterday as well, but it's like, I kind of know it by heart at this point. 
um mm-hmm. a lot of the things that happened this film are yeah just kind of embedded in my brain and um and i've listened to the soundtrack a lot as well so it's kind of like yeah i kind of know what's mm-hmm. gonna happen so i watched um the follow-up film <laughs> to rock horror picture show shock treatment there's a follow-up well, yeah um so what happened is uh, richard o'brien and, and jim Sharman um uh, came back to do a sort of a sequel um, well, they, it's not really a sequel. It's not a prequel. It's just kind of a different story with Brad and Janet. Uh, they did it in 1981. And it's a film called Shock Treatment. And Shock Treatment has been forgotten by history. And it kind of started coming back recently as something that people reevaluate. Blah, blah, blah. As something that people engage <laughs> with again. It's like intellectually or like in the, in the crit- critics kind of point of view, it kind of came back. And yeah, uh, it's been getting a little bit of buzz recently. But it's still a pretty forgotten film. And uh, if you think Rocky Horror is weird, oh my god, Shock Treatment is fucking out there. Um, I think I've heard of Shock Treatment. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know, it's got different actors playing Brad and Janet. It's got Jessica Harper as uh, as Janet, which is uh, kind of funny. <laughs> um, I don't know who she is. Well, from Suspiria, Jessica Harper from Suspiria. Oh. Yeah. Um, so Wild. yeah, so she she does Janet. She's no Susan Sarandon. Uh, she's prettier than Susan Sarandon, to be. She fair. sings. Oh my gosh, she's got a great singing voice. But yeah, in terms of sexuality, her sexuality is very different than than Susan Sarandon's. Just in terms of I don't know the feeling. So it's it's shock treatment is still a very sexual film, just very different film. But yeah, it's I don't know. It, it gets a little bit of getting used to. Um, but then the the supporting cast, so uh, Patricia Quinn and then Richard O'Brien and Little Nell are, are all back. And kind of doing new roles within this this other thing, and uh, yeah, so shock treatment is about uh, it takes place in Denton, and it takes place in a TV studio. All of it takes place in the TV studio that also has a mental ward attached to it for some reason, and so like Sunita's in it. Who? Sunita, Sunita, and like Ruby Wax. They're like I don't know, they're two British figures that I know pretty well ruby wax is like an actress okay. and a comedian i think sunita used to be like married to simon cowell or used to like go out with him all right um she's like i don't know anyway that's great <laughs> continue um yeah so shock treatment is about like tv and media and kind of creating yourself and uh it's really crazy it's really a lot harder to follow than rock horror it's it's kind of less sweet it's more like mean it's a bit of a mean film mm-hmm. it's about yeah, how, how TV destroys you and your image. It's got some fun songs as well. Uh, it's got a great song where uh, they sing to different kind of household uh, appliances. Uh, so it starts with like Dear Blender and then they say Dear Toaster. And like they, they sing to different things from ads as ads are playing over. That's pretty great. Um, it's got some fun moments in it, but it's a lot harder to engage with than Rock Horror for sure. But uh, I think it's interesting because Shock Therapy never got, you know, the midnight film treatment. It just bombed and then disappeared forever. Um, it's kind of interesting to watch it now and kind of see why. Um, it's a film that kind of predates reality TV. It kind of, it's weird to look at it now because it's about reality TV Well, when reality TV was not a thing yet. So when you watch it now, it feels very modern. Um, it's a very weird one. Um but I think it's worth a watch just to kind of see what happens because um, I definitely didn't get all of it. It's also a complicated film, but uh, it's worth a, a shot, I guess. Um, yeah, so I watched that. But we're going to talk about Rocky Horror today. I think a better film, like objectively. Um, 
Yeah, so let's let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about film. Talk about film. Talk about film. It starts with a song because it's a musical. I'm busy. Okay. The, the the my first note is that the opening credits are so long. They're just so long. Oh well, yeah, it's an opening song, not even a. You know. Well, that's the thing. It's the it's the overture. Yeah. Uh, like it makes sense when you think about it that way, but they're just so long. It does take a while, but um, it's so. But necessary. they're also like iconic. Yeah. Um. So I think yeah, I think it's interesting because when you you approached Rocky Horror as a as a musical theater kid, and I approached Rocky Horror as a horror fan, and a science fiction fan, and a lot of the things that he sings about in that first song are very personal to me. Um. So yeah, so when I first saw Rocky Horror, that first song already kind of was like to me like, wow, somebody's doing this. You know, it's a song that's just made of references to science fiction films, and also putting those science fiction films in a sexual uh context um i thought that was really interesting yeah i didn't really i'm reading the lyrics now yeah so it kind of goes through i don't know like 20 30 films um but you got the big ones like you know like king kong and fey ray who are very important for the for the plot of rock horror as well it's got fantastic planet and, and anne francis uh sorry forbidden planet forbidden planet is my living room i love that film um mm. got the poster um yeah and then a few other things like yeah it came from outer space and dr x and the invisible man and stuff like that but um and the it's also got um like the opening sequence is just like lips yeah it's just like lips with red lipstick on it so it's that again that thing of like very red lipstick is like i guess considered very sexy or sexual um and lips just isolated lips by themselves is also like quite sexual uh yeah so it's uh, richard o'brien singing the song right and the lips mm-hmm. but the lips are not richard o'brien's lips they belong to uh patricia quinn um yeah yeah so that's just her uh yeah so it kind of gives off that sexual vibe but also yeah the lyrics are also about sex as you know they they sing about getting hot while they were watching a science fiction film uh, it's all about being in the back back row, you know, kind of in the darkness, and I'm watching those B movie double feature things. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that kind of whole vibe of sex, uh, B films, violence, kind of all melting together is is already mm-hmm. kind of presented in this. And you also got RKO dropped. You know, RKO comes back later. The the film production company that that made a lot of those science fiction films. Mm. Yeah, it's very old school, you know. Rocky Horror definitely looks I mean, Ar- Archeo was like Archeo was like one of the first kind of major film thingies. I remember learning loads about Archeo in, in, in school, in college. Yeah. We watched it. It was defunct in um, 1959. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's older than my parents. Yeah. Um, and, and your parents. Yeah, definitely my parents, yeah. Um... Yeah, so RKO was... It's definitely an interesting studio. They made a lot of really cool things. Um, mm. Not only B-movies. They also did, like, fucking Citizen Kane and shit like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, some Hitchcock stuff. Uh, whatever. So it was, it was a very versatile studio. Mm. And obviously King Kong and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, a lot of the nostalgic element of Rocky Horror is, is kind of connected to that. And... Um, but again, it's it's there and it's in a different context because it's not about this. It's about you know I I think about this as a 
if you if you look at the like the the, the female stars that are name dropped in this song, like Anne Francis and, and Fay Ray, if you watch those films now, they are really the standout parts of that, or at least for me, you know, you can watch a thirties or forties science fiction film, and a lot of the times, yeah, you're not gonna be as impressed with it <laughs> as you would be <laughs> at the time because it's pretty old, you know. But yeah. but if you watch King Kong right now, uh, I don't know, have you ever seen the original King Kong from the thirty something? No. So if you watch it now, it's like I think you can still be impressed by what they did with it. But also, you look at Fay Ray and you're like, Jesus Christ! There's something about Fay Ray that's I don't know. Like she just radiates something in that film. It's and it is sexual. It's a very sexual energy that she has in that film. And it's you know it's the 30s film. You know nothing can be shown. It's still it's still uh, during the code period. So. It can't be sexual in any way, but still she radiates it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's um, that it cannot be sexual only amplifies it in a way. You know, you still you, you kind of watch it and it's like it's this kind of thing that it's like tension. Yeah, exactly. It's forbidden, but it's still there. You know, <laughs> it's still there. You know, there's this lady falling in love with this giant beast. You know, it it, it is sexual. It has to be. So I, I like that. This yeah, one exactly. Picks up on that. I think the thing about using like Archaea was also really interesting because like as well as doing like B movies and like science fiction, they also did like musicals. Like they did Top Hat and they did like um Oklahoma. Yeah. So it's like they were kind of a very like versatile studio. Um maybe they focused on other things, but like they also were kinda of, like um they distributed like a lot of Disney films at the time. Um like Peter Pan, Dumbo, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's just like an interesting studio to be like referencing because it sort of embodies like what the film is, which yeah. is like it's an intersection between genres. Yeah, that's true. And um, well, the film is gonna also name drop Columbia later on, but um, yeah, I think it's all about this kind of old time thing, you know, um, that you know you just bring up something that's not here anymore, which I think Rock Horror is uh, about in a lot of ways. It's about something that passed, um, even though it's so forward thinking in a lot of ways. It is mostly about things that are not there anymore i think but we'll yeah. get to it okay so that's the first song we go through it it's great and then we cut to a nice wedding march um uh this is a very cheap film by the way because we should mention that <laughs> if you couldn't tell yeah it's a 1.4 uh, million budget um pretty much b-movie schlocky thing that somebody put together for no money um so yeah, the first wedding scene is probably gonna tell you that because it's pretty much the cast from later on in like a different setting in a little churchyard. Different costumes. Yeah. Well, they use they also like the the thing about like the I think it doesn't like look cheap in terms of the aesthetics. Like I think the aesthetics are very much like not cheap looking. They look pretty cool, but um, they like reused a lot of their props and set pieces from um, Hammer horror films. Yeah. So, like, they were kind of just being thrifty. Oh, yeah. Well, the castle they filmed in is, is a Hammer uh, castle. And, you know, Hammer films were cheap films to begin with. So, you know, I don't think this film is trying to pretend something it's not. Like, you know, the aesthetics it's going for are, are very cheap anyway. So it's not like it kind of gets in the way. It's all good. Um, yeah, so we meet our two main uh, characters, Brad and Janet. Um, uh, a nice, proper, conservative American couple. Um, mm-hmm. they are at their friend's wedding. Um, yeah, and their their friends just got married, and Janet uh, catches the bouquet, meaning that she 
might get married next. Uh, they have some. They have some very pompous uh, American conversations <laughs> about about marriage <laughs> and stuff they want to do with their life, and um, and the married and the the car is fucking something else. So the married couple goes away in the car, and the car uh, has writing on it. And I think the writing says she got hers. Now it's time for him to get his, or something like that. It's a very weird sexist <laughs> uh, piece of oh. writing. Yeah. <laughs> is this um is this this is kind of the start of Susan Sarandon's career? Yeah. But is it like it's this isn't what catapulted it, is it? I, I don't think so, though. No. Because it wasn't popular. It's interesting because it, it it came at the start, see, and he kind of I I haven't seen the films that are at the start of her filmography, but I mean it's like the fifth film or something that she made, and you kind of get the impression that it's like this was like you know I don't know what's the word um. She wouldn't have been like top build. It's kind of like, oh, this is whatever cast we could get. This is what we've got, except for randomly Meatloaf. Uh, yeah, but Meatloaf was also in the in the Broadway show, right? In the show, so he's uh, not Broadway in the musical. Nice. So yeah, in the stage production show. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So he's kind of already uh, involved. But yeah, Susan Sarandon is not a star at this point. Uh, she's the most yeah. known, I guess. Uh, casting member now when you look back at it but yeah that's not that's not that time yet for her um i'm not sure when her time comes for real like um i don't know i feel like i haven't seen like many susan sarno films so well she pops up in a lot of things you know uh i guess she starts getting nominated for oscars around telman louise time right maybe she has something before that it's kind of hard for me. Maybe to Thelma and Louise is what launched it. I don't know. But Thelma and Louise is like, you know, 20 years later, like 15 years later. So it's not like... I think she was already a pretty big deal before that. Um, she's got a lot of films in between. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. The Witches of Eastwick, I suppose, is one that I've heard of. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a big one as well. Yeah, that's the George Miller, Miller mm-hmm. film. Uh, but yeah, she's a, she's a very interesting actress. And her career is something else, you know. And she's still around, and her stuff is still really interesting. And uh, yeah, I love her. I love Susan Sarandon. Loads of loads of. She's characters. okay. Oh, you don't love her? Oh. I don't know. I just don't think I've seen her in that much. Really? I always think that she. I always think she and Julianne Moore are the same person. Oh my god, that's her, such Julianne a Moore, and then. Oh my god, <laughs> they're both ginger white ladies. Okay. <laughs> They're all extremely <laughs> talented actresses with very different careers. Um, and who's that? Both are, in, in a way, they're both very versatile, I guess. You know, they both do. And, and Sigourney Weaver. The three of them are the same person to me. Ah, oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, they um, those, uh, those guys get married. They ride away. Uh, we see uh, a little bit of uh, American Gothic in the background with characters that are going to come back later. Um, bit of fun. Bit of fun. Um, and yeah, and basically what um, Brad is thinking of is uh, he should get married with Janet because his friend just got married. So that's a proper American thing to do. Um, mm. So they sing a song about that. Um, yeah, it's a nice Damn it, Janet. Damn it, Janet. Uh, nice little song. Uh, some funny jokes. Uh, Susan shows off her her crazy voice. <laughs> um, yeah, 
she's pretty good i really like her but um there's a lot of you know when you sh- um i don't know i've seen some stuff in the like susan sarandon or like janet gets a lot of shit in the uh in the live uh shows they do with this film mm-hmm. she gets called the slot and they throw stuff at her and generally they make fun of her singing voice as well uh but i f- <laughs> but i think uh yeah i think it's really in character the way she she sings and and kind of acts i think she really uh, propels this thing forward in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. you can see that horniness bubbling in her right from the start honestly um she uh she's got an itch to scratch she's gonna say later um she needs assistance she does need some assistance i think it's it's interesting and i feel like maybe this was part of my like weird my like disconnect with it when i first saw it is that like janna is hornier than brad is oh yeah 100 percent and and i think it is it is that kind of thing which i think i I guess i now understand um is that like the woman is coming across more horny in a more in in a subtle way but like still very much like she's more horny but it's because it's like well she's not like allowed to it's like not accepted for her to feel horny so like i don't know that's the way i see it where it's like women can maybe almost be more <laughs> more horny because yeah. they have to like push it down because they feel like they're supposed to push it down which just makes it build up whereas men if they're horny can just be like yo i'm horny i'm gonna go touch my pp yeah but i i think that and that's usually how they say it like i've had so many meetings where people like men are just like guys i gotta go and touch my pp yeah that's never happened i do that all the time uh sorry <laughs> yeah i just you know need a little bit of pp time um anyways uh <laughs> I think that's just how Brad is. And I think there's a lot of men like that who just maybe don't have that much of a sexual urge. And I think for Brad, it's more scary than anything. He's just kind of afraid mm-hmm. of that. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing as well, is that it kind of acknowledges that it's like, hey, not all not all men are super um, sexual and not all women are not yeah. sexual. It just kind of, I think, I guess it inverts like the expectations, which is... Yeah. Number one, why it wouldn't have been so successful in, in the 70s. And number two, why it wasn't um, resonating with 15-year-old um, internally misogynistic Abby. <laughs> yeah, that, that might be it. There we go. Found something <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, there we go. Mm, they, they, they sing a nice song, Damn with Janet. And they decide that they need to go see the professor, uh, Dr. Everett Scott, uh, the guy uh, who conducted a class when they were in college that uh, during that class they met, I guess. So they kind of go, he's a friend to them now and they want to go see him to kind of, I don't know, for him to... Give his blessing? See, yeah, give his blessing. I don't know. Who cares, right? The, the film definitely doesn't. <laughs> uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. That's the opening scene of the film. And then we meet the, the narrator, uh, Charles Gray, um, the criminologist, as he's called in the... Yeah. And the uh, um, closing credits. He's basically a dude that that uh, is supposed to be like an old school '30s person who explains the film to you, uh, mm-hmm. kind of framing device. So he talks straight to the camera and it kind of tells you what's happening <laughs> in case you get lost. <laughs> Something that shock treatment doesn't have and maybe could use. Um, so yeah, so basically he just says says a bunch of like scary things about what's gonna happen to them. Um, one thing um, that I'm thinking about, again, retrospectively, because I've only seen this film twice and wasn't super engaged the first time, yeah. um, is that the way, like, 
you're thinking about the fact that they go to the professor to like get his approval almost it's like that's something that typically happens with like parents where you go to the parents and it's like hey can we have your approval Mm -hmm. but there's no like there's no involvement of the parents and i feel like it kind of um it's sort of it's sort of like this found family kind of thing which i think the whole like castle has the the whole vibe which is again very much like um reminiscent of like the lgbtq community where you know people they often build their own family because like and i would say like even more so back in the 70s where it's like your family might have like ostracized you all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. like you're not welcome in your own family so you create your own family yeah and i think that's still very much a thing in the lgbtq community luckily not as much anymore but like it's still it's still evident Mm -hmm. um but even more so back in the 70s and i feel like it's sort of it's almost that thing of like brad and janet kind of already have some element of that um community mm-hmm. in them even though you know it's again it's unset it's like very possible that they do also just like have a relationship with their family but i think kind of yeah the fact that they're seeking that approval from someone who isn't their family but is like important to them and their relationship it's sort of like mirroring mm-hmm. the, the found family aspect of the the castle it's interesting i didn't think of that um I honestly think, like, you know, the, the, the thing about Brad and Janet are very proper at the beginning. And I think it's just that the film doesn't have time for any of that or the money to introduce any other well, characters yeah. <laughs> than who's actually going to be in the film. Uh, well, yeah, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been like a very interesting plot point. But yeah. just like it's kind of it's just I don't know. It's just something interesting. Yeah. Kind of the it is, yeah. Mm, for sure. So, um, yeah. So Brad and Janet go on a car trip uh, and uh, uh Fun thing, uh, they are listening to Nixon's resignation speech on the radio, uh, which is, you know, I think telling a lot. Um, that, that, they're from Denton, by the way. Denton is, I, I think, a fictional town. Is Denton a real place? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know, but it's, yeah, that's where shock therapy takes place as well. Denton is a city in Texas. Texas, yeah, there you go. Southern, southern <laughs> USA, kind of place and um yeah they listen to nixon's resignation speech a speech and they are not interested in it at all they turn it off they, they're talking about something else um it's very interesting yeah it's like because i think this film in terms of so yeah this film takes place in 70 1973 1974 i think that it's kind of important that you hear nixon's resignation speech in that because nixon is such an important figure in american history and i think this film takes place in America and like is a reflection of a lot of things going on in America in the 70s. So I think it's something that definitely comes back uh, later on. Yeah, so they get a flat tire basically and they need to go to a castle they passed on the way uh, <laughs> to ask for help and ask for a telephone. Um, yeah, that's basically the, the culprit of it. Um, and then we have a song called Light over at the Frankenstein's Place or whatever it's called. Um I don't, yeah, yeah, light over to Frankenstein's place. Uh, more, more, one of the more chilled out songs in this, I guess. Mm. Uh, I like it because it's kind of like again seeking comfort in a in a horror thing. Uh, like the Frankenstein's castle is there, and they're going to it as a, as a light in the darkness, kind of. Uh, it's both a play on the you know there's always this thing of oh it's supposed to you know in horror films there's always a place that's supposed to kind of help you, and in the end it turns out it's there to kill you. Uh, so it's a play on that, but also it's a thing of yeah, kind of B movies stuff like that. I think it's it's a you know a, a thing of comfort for a lot of people. So I don't know, this song kind of feels very comfortable to me in, in terms of reflecting that. 
Um, yeah. Mm, cool. So I think we have another little thing from the narrator, and then then we get to the castle. Riffraff's there. Yeah. So now at the they do the time warp. There's a. There's no wait. Is there wait? No. Is sweet transvestite happen before time warp? No, no, no. There's gonna be time warp now. Uh, okay, they do time warp. There's a bunch of fun stuff that happens before that. Riffraff opens the door. Richard O'Brien is Riffraff. Uh, Patricia Quinn is Magenta, his uh, sister. Which we learn later after some, do- some... after some other stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to say that in shock therapy, Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn also play brother and sister. In a similarly, maybe even more overtly sexual relationship than in this film. Um, oh. So there's a theme there. I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I was gonna say, yeah, I have I haven't got very many notes on this film because like there's so much going on. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like I don't even. I just like watching it. Like I don't know what to write down. I get that, but then I write down everything. Like I write down so many things. Uh, I have loads of notes on this one. Because, yeah, because everything in this, like, it's such a written film. It's very much a script, just like a stage play. Yeah, it's definitely been, like, like, it's been written. Nothing in it is improvised. So every line is particular and about something. It's a lot of jokes, a lot of sexual innuendo and stuff like that. Um, But it's fun. Like, I don't know. I I really like the way it kind of flows. Because it's, yeah, it's very intense. It kind of keeps bombarding you with stuff. And I don't know. I like films like that. I I like to just kind of, it keeps me engaged. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So they open the door, and Riffraff says, "You're wet." <laughs> and Janet says, "Yes, it's raining. It's great." Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun stuff like that. Um, just incredible, incredible dialogue. It is really, much, yeah. I think it is incredible, honestly. No, oh, I mean it is. <laughs> yeah, it's very campy and over the top, and that's great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something like it's a line that you would hear in a 50s science fiction film for sure you know it is yeah uh that's the kind of innuendo that was kind of okay there uh, mm-hmm. rocky horror definitely does some stuff that would not be okay uh in the 50s and, and 40s but you think yeah but those kinds of lines are fine <laughs> it's you know it's, it's one of those uh, we, we talked about duke, the duke of burgundy being like you know an 18 rated film without like that much maybe you know explicit sex scenes in it rocky horror is kind of similar to me in terms of like everything about it is very sexual um but there's nothing really overtly vulgar in it like they don't even like there's one one fuck said in the film later on it's not non-sex related and i guess the Mm. most you know explicit song is is touch me um but um other than that it's it's very, yeah, innuendo-based. Nothing is very overtly sexual on the front. There's We do see some titties. You can see some titties, but it's very easy to miss those titties. Uh, it is easy to miss those titties. Definitely not the focus of the scene or anything. They're just kind of there as a joke. So, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, but again, I wouldn't show this film to uh, a kid because, yeah, because they just won't understand all this stuff. Because it's so about sex that, you know, it's kind of impossible to watch it without that context. Um, but again, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything in it that I wouldn't really show to a 12-year-old in terms of just the content itself. It's pretty pretty tame by today's standards, I think. Pretty okay. Nothing really yeah, for sure. too too terrible happens, except for maybe some of the murder. But uh, yeah, it's just that the theme of it is so 
yeah, so sexual. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, and then we see the inside of the of the castle, like the the hammer horror stuff. A lot of yeah, basically like an old hammer set with like a like a skeleton in the coffin type thing, and I don't know, like loads of stuff like that. It's just kind of old. And we meet Magenta Patricia Quinn, who's amazing. I love her. She's mm. so great. Um, she is. And they do a time warp, which is a song about taking drugs, or I don't know about anything you want, honestly. Is it? Well, what is a time warp? I feel like I think the time warp has been. I'm finding it that the time warp has been like a song that has for so long just been like something I've heard. Like it's like a party song. Doesn't matter what age you are, it was always a party song. Um, I, you know, I heard of that. I heard the song before I heard of Rocky Horror. Um. It says, a time warp is an imaginary spatial distortion that allows time travel in fiction or a hypothetical form of time dilation or contraction. That has, I'm going to be honest now, that hasn't helped me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you to whoever wrote that. But, I mean, you know, it's... (laughs) Thanks for nothing. I think that there's a lot of lyrics in this film that are not, uh, you know, that are like song lyrics that are quite open in terms of what you want to do with them. But they are definitely insinuating things um you know it's it's a funny thing that time warp is a party song while it has clear sexual innuendo even like yeah, i don't know if you don't even want to like read too much into it you know the, the pelvic thrust that drives you insane is, is definitely something that <laughs> you don't need a lot of uh thinking about to to get <laughs> but yeah there, there's definitely stuff like that but i don't know like when he when it's, it's all about like succumbing to something you know it's like riffraff sings that you know i remember doing the time warp drinking those moments when the blackness would hit me and the void would be calling and yeah and then magenta is all about you know it's something about a dream another dimension you know i don't know it, it feels a little bit to me like succumbing to a a, a drug a drug induced thing to me um, and there's a lot of like drug innuendo in this film as well. Again, nothing too overt except for a picture of Meatloaf <laughs> with a needle. <laughs> but uh, um, but there's definitely a lot of like drug innuendo in this. So I don't know. It feels like when I watched it now, it felt like a song about drug used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, um, in in the in the crowd, I don't know in the in, like the gang, the people who are partying, um, everyone's like it's very much like androgyny. Like everyone's yeah. wearing the same suit, everyone is also wearing makeup, um, you know. So it's again like very much like emphasizing the androgyny yeah. that the film is gonna just have throughout. Yeah, for sure. Also, Colombia does a tap dance, which is which is amazing. Great. What happens to tap that? What happened to tap dancing? Is my question. I love tap dancing yeah. so much. I own tap shoes. Oh, I don't know where they're gone. Fuck yeah! Uh, it's so fun. It's so fun just making little noises with your feet. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what tap dancing <laughs> is. I love a tap dance solo. Oh my god, they're so amazing. So great. Um, well, we had a few, I guess. There was one in, in the Hail Caesar, I think. Um, I haven't seen that. Is that good? I, I did not like it very much. Um, some people oh. like it a lot. I, it I, looked fun. Uh, I think you should give it a try if you like uh, the Coens. I thought it was a little bit, I don't know, didn't really get me. Um, but yeah, but but Channing Tatum does a does a musical number as a sailor in it. I think it's got a tap dancing solo, and I guess La La Land has a has a tap dancing thing. Although that one is a bit does it? 
Yeah, I think that the song where they're in the park has a little 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 section. Um Well anyways. Oh yeah, the um yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lovely Night or something. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what it's called, I think. I think yeah. there's a little tap dance in that. But um yeah, we should get more. There we go. Let's do we it. Don't, Let's bring back tap dancing. We don't get a lot of musicals anymore in general, unfortunately. Um Yeah, so something to think about. Uh, producers, I know that a lot of Hollywood producers listen to this uh, podcast, so just keep that in mind. Yeah. A little bit of tap dance. Um, Come on. Also, Columbia's verse. While we're talking about her great tap dancing, I love Columbia and I love Little Nell. Uh, she might be my favorite voice in Rocky Horror. I just, I don't know that that high pitched kind of uh, yeah. screamy thing just kind of gets me. I don't know something about it. it gives me a little <laughs> bit of a shiver, which is what you want from this film. Um, her verse is um well it's definitely about some sort of sexual encounter but i don't know what i read it now it's um hmm. so she says i was walking down the street just having a think when a snake of a guy gave me an evil wink he shook me up he took me by surprise he had a pickup truck and the devil's eyes he stared at me and i felt a change time meant nothing never would again um i don't know feels a little bit forceful to me but I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but definitely Columbia, first of all, she she's a bit... She's an outsider, you learn later on. I think she's a very interesting character because she she's mm. not like Riff Raff and Magenta who are like part of the deal. She kind of comes in as a... I think she's... I think she's just as a groupie in the in the credits. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but her whole story is really interesting to me. She's got the most overt like drug references... Uh, she sings about dope later and like she's got a whole history of how she got involved with this and Eddie and stuff and I don't know it's a very sad story but yeah she's definitely like looking for a fix is I guess her thing and that's a sexual fix or a drug fix or anything like that or both or both I think um her voice is also very reminiscent I feel of like old musicals like yeah. it reminds me of Jodie Foster's voice in Bugsy Malone as Tallulah, mm. which, like, I believe was inspired, like, the voice quality, which is, like, very kind of nasally high-pitched. Mm-hmm. Um, no, oh, sorry, it's not actually Jodie Foster's voice. It's, like, a, a woman's voice, uh, <laughs> as far as I know. Like, the singing voice is someone else's voice. Yeah. But um, that... And also, um, I don't know the actress's name, but Blousey Brown, what, whoever did her voice in um, Bugsy Malone as well. It's, like, it's quite similar to the two of those voices in Bugsy Malone. Which is like taking inspiration from like older films, anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's very old school, and I think I like that as well. Um, yeah, and the whole tap dancing thing as well. The, her, her top hat. She's she's also like yeah, not dressed maybe as a typical woman in a musical, but she's got this kind of yeah, this feeling of 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 old school. Yeah, musical more than horror. Yeah, definitely. She 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 feels like from a that kind of a uh, aesthetic. She, in shock therapy, she's a nurse. She's also kind of like, yeah, it's a similar kind of, I guess, dynamic uh, as in Rocky Horror in terms of her character. But she's got a very short skirt, and it's like so short that you see her underwear like most of the time. It's part of the thing, and she's got like a black kind of sexy fongy thing on. Um, yeah, so I thought I just I just mentioned that. Uh, all right, so um, Frank comes in. We got Frank. And further coming into the film, maybe one of the best. Tim Curry. Yeah, Tim Curry. 
uh, fucking acting his heart out. Um, uh, maybe one of the best entrances in, in film history. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. It's good. It's, uh, it's amazing. And the first thing he says is, How'd you do, uh? And I don't know if he's supposed to be saying doing or do and then says an uh. My subtitle says said how do you do? I don't know. But he's very um, British. Which is weird. Why is it weird? Well it's a very American film. Um But Tim Curry is British. And he's British. And Patricia Quinn's from Northern Ireland. His name Richard Quinn is British. Yeah. Richard O'Brien is British. Well yeah, they're all like a British kind of cast, and then there's the two Americans in the lead role, I guess. Uh, Little Nell's Australian. Oh, she's Australian. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Um, the, I mean, it's a very. It's funny that you say it's a very American film because to me it's very British. Like it's kind of because it's making fun of America. Because yeah. it's, I mean, it was made in England. Yeah. The the like cast are very. I feel like the extras and everything are British. One of the extras is Christopher Biggins, mm-hmm. who became. Well, I don't even really know what he did. Um, he was on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Uh, but he was, he was, um, what was he in? I don't even know what he was in. I know that he was in, he was in Just with Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay, all right, okay. Um, but like, he's in it. So I feel like, I don't know, the background cast is like, he's gay. It's like, it's, it's the background cast is very much like, I feel English. Um. But no, the the lyrics I think are it's how do you do? I see you've met my faithful hand, handyman. So it's how do you do ah? Uh, but the ah uh is actually I. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, so it's how do you do I? Yeah, all right, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Pause. See, so, yeah. I don't know, but one way or another, it's just it's just so much character in the way he says that. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it's it, what a first line, you know. Um, but um. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a very American film because it's about America. Like it feels to be about America and what's going on in America more than what's going on in England. I think to me, because yeah, uh, I mean, it's I think it's I feel like it's it's not that it's like obviously the like theme, not the theme, but like it's it's American. It's set in America, but I feel like in a very British way. Yeah. I don't know. It's like this is well, what America's like. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what's giving it sort of maybe that edge of like being able to actually, you know, with some distance, be able to kind of look at some things and kind of have a bit of a outside perspective. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think you start getting at this point in the film that, you know, the whole hippie vibe and the whole, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bunch of people having a party and there's drug and, and sex involved. And it's definitely, you know, a bunch of hippies <laughs> hanging out in that <laughs> old castle, you know, having a party and uh the film's from 75 so that whole thing is kind of a little bit over um and i don't think it's i don't get the impression that it's hippies you don't no i i to me it's it's the like it's the queer community who had to do everything underground at least like in ireland um it was illegal to be gay until like the 80s or something like i know i had a um in college i did a queer theater module and like our lecturer was a gay man and he told us about like how he had like friends who got arrested um for just like for being gay like and it was that there was clubs that were underground that you had to like go to secretly all that kind of thing so to me it's more of a the vibe is more like this is like a a queer community who are 
you know, creating their own space to party in because they're not accepted in the other spaces. I don't yeah. get the hippie vibe. I mean, I mean, I feel like drugs are something that are quite pervasive in, um, like the queer community, um, or at least especially back then. Um, yeah. So to me, it's more that kind of vibe than hippies because hippies well, are more like um, mellow. Yeah, and those guys are, you know, I would say pretty mellow. I, I think like you know they're in a way connected. I think you know. The, the hippie movement, like the the free love movement and everything in the 60s, you know, obviously it was about, in a lot of ways, yeah, just kind of chilling out and accepting everything. Um, you know, there were not specifically maybe the, the queer environment, but I think that in a lot of ways, maybe there was a little bit of connection between them. I think there's a lot of things in terms of the hippies kind of coming in as you know because the because brad and janet are so clearly conservative americans so they would be coming from the other end of the spectrum back in the day in the in america i think it was very much like a divide between the conservative and the liberal and you know uh especially in the 60s with that whole movement was all about trying to go against that conservative value thing and it was a lot of things it was you know the, the queer movement the drug stuff uh, free love in general or just the general openness it was rock music you know this film is very uh, seeped in rock uh and yeah kind of like an old school rock feeling even like you know even a little bit older than the 70s like a 60s rock vibe is what i get from that which is a very hippie thing um so <laughs> i think there's a lot of stuff like that on like a maybe broader scale of what this film is doing and you know frankenfurter's kind of approach to the whole thing is very hippie, I think, because he's very like free love kind of. Everybody has sex with each other kind of vibe, you know. That's his thing. Yeah. Um, it's very yeah non. I'd say you could probably say polyamorous now or whatever, but it's very non relationship based. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where yeah. I get the hippie thing from. And you know, then you see okay. the Zen room later on and all that kind of stuff, and the, the, everything that Doctor Everett Scott says at the end. Is like the the things that the American government and like the general uh, conservative vibe was, you know, towards the hippies. <laughs> you know, so is definitely like that kind of a guy. I think in this. So yeah, that's kind of what I get from that. But um, yeah, there's definitely like a queer element to this as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right. So, anyways, Frank and comes in. He's got the entrance. He's singing his song, uh, and it's pretty great. It is. It's pretty. Amazing. Um. I grappled with the song's title in the sense that I was like, I, I've like, and I mean, I feel like I've done it for a while, but this is the first time I like properly, I guess, looked into it. Yeah. Um, because I've been like uncertain about the word transvestite. Yeah. Um, more so because I was like, I think that the word transvestite is fine because, in the sense of you use it to refer to something specific. Yeah. And I think the, the, the disconnect that happens is people thinking or associating transvestite with being transgender, transgender yeah. which which it's not i think maybe at the time it possibly would have sometimes been like i i, I guess at the time because again the world wasn't as open it would have been interchangeable kind of um yeah. the term but so i googled it to read up about it more just so that i kind of was able to like comfortably i guess say talk about it or whatever um so, so like transgender is what's like the the commonly accepted terminology for trans people um which is what we will which is what you would use to refer to someone whose gender identity isn't 
corresponding with the sex that they were assigned at birth. Yeah. So that's what you use transgender for. Transsexual is something that has kind of fallen out of yeah. fat favor. Like it's not as accepted anymore. Yeah. Um, I guess because I'm trying to see exactly the like reasoning behind that um it used to mean transgender people who have or want to use medical intervention hormones or surgery to permanently transition from the gender assigned at birth to the one they identify as many trans people reject the word some because having that word sex in the middle of it may um suggest that they that being trans is all about sexuality rather than gender identity um so so like and some trans people are are, don't mind the word trans transsexual um but and, and may like reject transgender but it seems like transgender is kind of unless you're told otherwise because again it comes down to the thing of if you're talking to a trans person you know go by what they say if yeah. they say i want you to say this it's the same as pronouns if someone tells you your pronouns go by that um but transgender is kind of the one that i guess is most acceptable yeah. and then um transvestite has fallen out of favor um because apparently so transvestism was seen as a medical disorder um, and cross-dresser would be more what's accepted now um so a cross-dresser or a transvestite is a person who dresses in and acts in the style of the gender opposite to the one they were assigned at birth um dressing as the opposite sex for a play or to do an impression of someone is totally different so like it, it doesn't it's not the same as like i guess doing drag for like yeah. a play or to like do an impression um Drag is historically based on cross-dressing, but it's like, it's kind of, I guess, not necessarily the same. Um, So basically, it seems as though like transvestite isn't necessarily accepted. Cross-dresser is more accepted. But I think it's it's kind of, it's one of those things is that I think in this context, transvestite refers to Frankenfurter, who isn't, from my understanding, I guess, how I assess the film, he's not trans he just likes dressing up in women's clothing yeah but he's i think it kind of seems like he still identifies as a man um so he is like a cross-dresser yeah um but i do feel like again leading by example so like what you're told to do by the person who it affects but i feel like i don't feel super uncomfortable with transvestite as i think i did before because i guess it's just differentiating it from being like it doesn't mean transgender yeah it means something different yeah and the, Which is an important differentiation. Yeah, and the film is pretty clear about you know that. I think <clears throat> that yeah, Frank is identifies as a man, and he's just a crossdresser. Yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it in modern terms. I guess. Um, yeah, and I mean in the song they do say transsexual, so I think like they do differentiate. So he's a transvestite from transsexual Transylvania, which is partially more just like they're using it so that they can say the word trans three times. Um, and then sexual, the yeah, yeah, they they <laughs> yes. need, they, they but, need um, that sexual there because the film is definitely need, sexual. <laughs> very sexual, yeah. But um, but I think that there, there's also I think I think an element of differentiation where, you know, transsexual. Is something that he is not, yeah. but trans. I guess Transylvania is transsexual in some way. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the context of, I'm the not film. sure if transgender anyway. was even like a thing. I don't know if that was a term that was used in the 70s, honestly. So yeah, I I don't believe it was. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. That's the thing, and I think that's why it's like important to talk about it while also like referencing the cultural context. And I mean, because the thing is, um, they remade Rocky Horror, um, 
not remade. Rem- I don't think remade is the right word. Um, they did like a musical yeah. TV version of it. Oh, um, Jesus Christ, that sounds with, terrible. I, I don't think I watched it. I don't think I watched it. I don't know what reviews it got. It was on Fox. Um, okay, oh, that's great. But, <laughs> but Laverne Cox, um, who's a trans actress, played Frankenfurter. Oh, nice. Um, and I think it kind of, it sort of, I think emphasizes the fact that I think Frankenfurter in general as a character is like, quite fluid in terms of gender oh yeah 100 um and at the time as you said like i think the trans experience i guess wasn't one that was like widely talked about or acknowledged i guess probably more so just in like lgbt spaces yeah um so yeah i don't think transgender was really a word it would have been like at the time it would have been transsexual because i think i don't know at the time that was sort of just how they associated it yeah and um, so i think it's not it's not a problem it's a it would be a problem if you called a trans person a transvestite yeah yeah that's true but yeah. the film itself using the word is not a it's not a problem yeah and that word is not even used any other time in the film it's just in the song and it's just, it's just frank singing about himself which is something uh-huh. that neither brad or janet or anybody really references later on mm-hmm. so and in um and that's the thing is as well, it's more to my point, like in the remake that they did for Fox, which was in 2016, they didn't change it. They still said, they still sang Sweet Transvestite. Yeah. I mean, which obviously like, I feel like it's kind of the iconic song. Yeah. Almost more, nearly more so than Time Warp maybe in terms of like directly being associated with Rocky Horror. Um, they didn't change it or like leave it out or anything. And while I feel like maybe they necessarily couldn't, I still think that I would imagine having like, Laverne Cox as the one singing it in the cast. I feel like if there was a really big problem with it, she would have in some way she wouldn't have taken the role in the first place, I guess, maybe. Um and I mean I don't know, I'm not I'm not her, I'm not trans, I can't speak to the experience, but I feel like it's very much once used in the particular context. It's like, listen, let's not erase it. Yeah, it's fine. It's a good song. I like um you know the the Frank uh Frank's confidence is kind of in everything he does and the way he sings and the way he speaks also in the way he interacts with the camera because he's the only character outside of the narrator who looks in the camera and he does it like three times in the song <laughs> and <laughs> it's amazing yeah he looks at... it's it's because it's also and I, I feel like i guess there's probably an element of, again why i didn't like it but no because i feel like him looking at the camera is again a very much like he's directly like sexually addressing the audience yeah. Like he looks at the camera and he's like, I know you want to fuck me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's building that relationship, not just like with the characters in the film, but like also with the viewer, which I think is part of what's like so impactful about Tim Curry's performance. Can you imagine uh, Tim Curry doing uh, Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs? Would you fuck me? <laughs> I'd fuck me. I'd fuck I don't think I hard. can imagine him doing that because of Tim Curry's voice. He has such a distinct voice. That's true. There's such such a like unique quality to it. Mm. I don't think I could take him seriously if he like directly asked. He just has to say it with his eyes. Mm. I'd say I'll, I'll I'll take him. But okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's go. On. So yeah, so Frank sings sings his song. He's amazing. He's sexy. Janet is like immediately into him. Um, there's so many iconic so lines. Yeah. There's so many iconic lines in this in this song. Uh, about the flat tire. And the thing is as well I think as well, like the fact that 
again and again like we've talked about why like janet is more horny um but it, it does show that kind of thing of like hey they're also like showing that sexuality just because you like look like you're prim and proper doesn't mean that sexuality isn't fluid to you as well yeah because like you know frankenfurter is very much you know dressed femininely and brad you know in terms of like the, the kind of black and white aspect of it like brad's straight yeah he's a straight man brad from our perspective as we first met them yeah. well yeah no but like where we first meet them it's like brad's a straight man janet's a straight woman yeah so if you think of like frankenford is dressed so femininely and janet again a straight woman is more like into him than brad is yeah even though frankenford is dressing more overtly feminine yeah and i think it's also i feel like there's also just a thing of like and this is the same now i think where like women are more it, it's funny because I feel like it sort of goes against what we've been saying with like women and sexuality, but like women, I think are more open to the fluidity of sexuality in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, like they'll look at someone, they'll look at a woman or they'll, you know, someone more feminine and they'll be like, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. But I'm also into this, you know, whereas I think men, it's sort of, there's an aspect of like the, there's just toxic masculinity, which makes yeah. it be like, no, I'm no, I would never, yeah. I would never like a man. Yeah, there's an no. aspect of shame to that, I guess, or like, a, yeah, uh, if you're attracted to a man, that yeah, that there's the immediate gay association, and men are scared of that. Um. Okay. Next. So what we've just done is we transvestite, and then I guess I think during that, Magenta and Riffraff strip Brad and Janet so that they're in their underwear. Yep. Just so they're at the same level of undress as everyone else. Yeah. Similar, at least, but yeah, yeah, not as sexy, but um, and then they go up to the lab. Yes, go to a lab, which is a very old school sci-fi set with like, yeah, white walls and a bunch of crazy machinery that doesn't make any sense, and uh, yeah, there's a big red. Um, yeah, we can call it a tub, whatever. It's in the middle of the room and there's like a little audience and then Brad and Janet are brought there to, to see the reveal because this is a very special night for Frank. Um, it's like a surgery theater. Yeah. Uh, so basically what's going to happen now in the film is the film is going to do its own Frankenstein thing, which is that Frank created a... Uh, he, he found a way to create life. Um, a sexy boy. Yeah, so he found a way to create life and... and with that power, he decided to create himself a nice, sexy boy to fuck, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the boy isn't even—he's not even that sexy. Well, I don't know. He, he hasn't got his—he's got his—it's a butter face. Like his body's good, but I'm not bigly bigly. Well, that's not a word. I'm not hugely into his face or his hair. Mm. His haircut's weird. He's got a bowl cut. Yeah, he—he's not. Well, you know, the—the the thing about him, uh, the actor that plays him, his name is Rocky Horror. That's what they name. <laughs> Uh, so Rocky Horror is. <laughs> wait, wait, no, hang on. That's the. <gasps> that's the yeah. Name the film. <gasps> wow, that's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Um, yeah, so he's a muscly boy created by by Frank, uh, for sexual purposes, as is made abundantly clear by like free songs that play in that section of the film, which are all about <laughs> how Frank is gonna fuck this boy <laughs> once he's more muscular. <laughs> 
<laughs> the thing as well is that the fact that like I don't find he's sexy is fine because Colombia they're all talking about like oh yeah he's beautiful and then Colombia's like he's okay yeah and Frank is like really upset by that yeah and he's like he's not for you he's for me yeah so I mean yeah Frank is uh, it's uh, he's not for me to enjoy anyways so. I like that thing about Frank because he feels like a real character he's like very confident he's this kind of bigger than life kind of figure but he's also yeah very much like. It's very easy to hurt his feelings. He feels very vulnerable mm. in that way. Um, he, he, yeah, there is like humanity there. Yeah, there's something about him being like a character, which I like a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and Columbia is definitely not into that. She's into a different kind of man. That's great. Um, mm-hmm. um, she likes character, I think, which is her thing. Um, of which Rocky has none. Yeah, he, he literally just got born and doesn't know what's going on. So he's basically just a <laughs> hunk of flesh. That's That's all he is. Um, a hunk of a man. A hunk of a man. The one thing. Um. So and yeah, at this stage, um. Frank is wearing a lab coat. Yes. And something very interesting. He's also got a pink triangle on his lab coat. Mm. Which is what the Nazis used um, to identify gay men in the concentration camps. Yeah. There you go. Um. So it's like a li- little interesting little nod. I was just watching Community, and I, uh, I'm at season six right now. And there was a great episode where they have you seen? Uh, where are you in Community? I don't want to spoil it. I've seen it all. Oh, okay. So that's the that was the episode where um, they asked the dean to be on the school board, but they ask him to come out as gay, uh, so that they have a gay member on on the school board. <laughs> and uh, and and yeah, the dean. I really like how they handle it con- in Community because it's something that kind of doesn't come back through all those seasons, and then in season six they do it. Um, and at this point, I think in the show, you kind of know Dean as a character, so you kind of get it more because he says, yeah, as, as they say, I guess in the beginning of the show and then never come back to it, it doesn't begin to cover it. Like when he says he's like, yeah, somebody asks him if he's gay and he's like, it doesn't even begin to cover it. Uh, and then it's not <laughs> mentioned for five seasons. And then we come back with this and we get more info. And I really like that. Um, yeah, so I guess Frank would be the same. I don't think you can just kind of say he's gay or or even bi. Yeah. I don't even say he's um on on the Wikipedia. He's um said to be pansexual, which is yeah. like a, I think a pretty good assessment. Yeah, probably. He he just he does he does he's non discriminatory. Yeah, I think this film is very much into like not labeling anybody. So I don't know if Frank would like mm-hmm. to call himself pansexual or anything. He feels like he yeah, doesn't I really don't. Care. <laughs> yeah to me it's kind of it's weird that the wikipedia gives him a sexuality because it's like he's just i don't know i don't think any of them really have sexualities they're all just sexual yeah (laughs) very sexual yeah definitely sexual brad's sexual but not as much Um, yeah brad is just kind of he'll take it you know i don't think he's very actively interested but hey if it comes up he's not disinterested yeah um, yeah, so uh, we got this whole thing yeah. with Rocky being born, a bunch of fun stuff, a bunch of songs, and uh, yeah, basically plot-wise, not much happens. Um, but then we get the uh, character of Eddie appearing, um, and we have like I guess the second most known song of the musical or third, I don't know. But we get Hot Patootie, is which is yeah one of the other big ones. Just sang by Hopatuti, bless my soul. Yeah, he really loves that rock and roll. Um, I really love that song because it's yeah, it's kind of a, like a transition song in this film. It's not really 
doesn't have to do with anything except that it introduces Eddie. And then introduces him by, yeah, he's a guy on a bike, rides out from the wall and fucking drives around and sings a song about how he loves rock and roll and having sex with Columbia. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> it. Uh, he plays the saxophone. <laughs> but this film is so full of, like, joy and, like, this kind of fun energy, fun sexual energy, which I think this film is really good in portraying, as in it's just very open and fun and just kind of... Yeah, he's kind of the spirit of rock and roll, Meatloaf. He he does have that thing about him. You can kind of see it in him. It's it's great. Yeah, I mean it. It sounds like a Meatloaf song. Um. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It's a bit. Well, all of the songs in this film are very basic in a lot of ways. Uh, that's kind of, I guess, their idea for it was to make it as yeah. They're very simple riffs. It's mm-hmm. the same in Shock Therapy. It's just like guitar drums and like a simple guitar riff yeah. and yeah, like a melody over it, and that's basically it. Um, but effective yeah sure definitely very effective and yeah it's a rock musical you know it's about the rock culture as well so it has to be like that rock was you know historically a pretty simple genre uh mm-hmm. like pop you know uh, that's fine you know it's all good um so eddie writes out um yeah columbia goes crazy because she loves eddie they have a nice little song everybody's having a great time but then frank decides to murder eddie with an ice pick <laughs> <laughs> because he's I think I is it because he's taking Columbia's attention? I think so. I think there's a jealousy thing there. I think because the thing is Columbia is like is Frank's groupie. Yeah. And he's like, no, that's my attention. Yeah. There's there's like a jealous element there. But also at this point I uh, I thought of something that I didn't think of before when I was watching Rock Horror, which um I thought of the Manson family. Um and I thought of hmm. that kind of stuff. And I thought, uh, it's a little bit culty what's going on there. There's one guy at the top. Uh, and there's like a very drug, free love atmosphere going around. There's a murder hmm. happening on site that is kind of okay. <laughs> because everybody loves the front person so much. And, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, Frank is definitely not like a Manson-like figure in a lot of ways. in the way he's portrayed in this film. But, I don't know, I think it's a little bit interesting that you know, this happens. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, there's definitely a culty um, aspect to it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like talking about hippie lifestyle and free love and this kinds of stuff, you know, I think this film is, you know, kind of portraying it as fun. It's a good time and like, it's all great, but it's also not very, um, I don't think it's one-sided in its portrayal of that. I think it does kind of acknowledge um some practical elements of that lifestyle or like some of the stuff that maybe wouldn't work as well. And there's definitely a level of criticism, uh, you know, maybe not criticism to free love itself, but to the way it worked or to the way it was handled at the time. So um, I think it's there. It's interesting. Well, Mm -hmm. Frank just flat out murders a man in this scene. Um, And it's kind of, yeah, it's like an old school kind of horror scene, but it's not funny. I mean, no. I mean, I laughed, but that was just because of the way it was made. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny, but I like did. But I did laugh, did laugh yeah. Uh, and he called also yeah, Frank I mean, calls I know what it you mean. like it's it's not Frank calls a mercy killing. Yeah, Frank calls it a mercy killing, which is exactly what they were calling those murders. Uh, mm. They were calling it a mercy killing because they were like stuck up conservative people and they were gonna die anyway. And yeah, killing them was just releasing them. So oh, there you go. I mean. It was probably pretty, um, pretty inspired 
that I mean, I think that's probably a direct reference. Yeah. Because like the Manson family, I guess were f- act found they were active in like the late sixties, early seventies. Well, that's so, uh, I think seventy five. So Manson has already gone to prison. So that whole thing is kind of over, but it's not fully over because the family kind of did function a little bit afterwards. But yeah, but Manson is already like the trial is over. I think the trial finished like what seventy. Free? I don't know. It took a fucking while to to do all this. But the thing is, is that they were still active. Yeah, they're they're kind of and also like culturally, they're still like a fucking um, huge deal, right? Um, mm-hmm. The Manson trial is such a important event in American history, um, mm-hmm. and it's endlessly fascinating. <laughs> it's not as explicit in this, but I think there's a sort of danger maybe in the whole thing that kind of brings back the Manson vibes of like where this could go, mm. uh, where it doesn't go in the end, but maybe could and like, you know, Frankfurter as this sort of a figure definitely has potential for for something like this, I would say. Mm. Um, okay, yeah, so Rocky's born. That's all fine. Then they sing the, the gym song. Then there's like um, what is it called? A hobby horse? It's not a hobby horse. A jumping horse. Those things that you use that you put your hands on. Either way, it looks like a dick. Um, we already talked about Eddie. Frank's. We're at Eddie now. Abby, we're at Eddie. Frank sits on that. Sorry, no, I was just looking at my notes. I know. We're at Eddie um, now. Meet No Arrive. Frank kills him. Okay, great. No, okay, peace. now we're back. Okay. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they sing another song. Everybody's kind of okay with Eddie dying, except Columbia, who's kind of upset. Yeah. Everybody else kind of brushed it off because yeah. it's a musical. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they finish up the song about Rocky. Um, Janet is turned, has changed her opinion on muscles, um, and now lets out a wonderful "I'm muscle fan" uh, line, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we kind of move on to the night scene. Uh, they they mm-hmm. uh, give separate rooms to Brad and Janet. Um, as Jesus would wish. Yes, and obviously the, but obviously the the the, the rooms have uh, cameras in them, so they're being spied on all the time. Uh, seems mostly by Riffraff and Magenta at first, but later on, kind of by everybody. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. There's just cameras. Everybody looks in, and um, yeah, and basically now we got a few scenes of what's going on tonight. First, what happens is that Frank comes into Janet's room pretending to be Brad, and. Um, has sex with her uh then mm-hmm. <laughs> no okay so uh <laughs> yeah um yeah it's it's uh, like this thing of yeah he kind of comes in first he has brad's voice which is kind of funny and then she kind of turns finds out that it's it's actually uh it's actually frank and uh yeah there's this whole thing about janet saving herself for marriage um which is funny because brad is not the same and he even doesn't get treated that way uh, but it's very it's very much a part of the prod that Janet is a virgin. And Brad? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows, really. <clears throat> Men don't need to be virgins. Yeah. Virginity is a female concept. Yeah. Uh, because there's a tangible evidence. I did air quotes there for the listeners. Um, there's tangible evidence of virginity for women. There isn't for men. It's just a concept. Virginity is a made-up concept. doesn't exist. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Frank basically seduces both Janet and Brad. I put seduces in air quotes because this, like, aged quite badly. Because they're both, like, saying yeah. no. Well, I don't know. He's... It's hard to watch it without being like, uh... 
he, he's a little bit too pushy maybe for for modern uh, yeah i mean they both they both they both turn out to be into it but i think it, it is hard to watch it without kind of being like oh yikes at least for me it was yeah um i think at the end of the day they are it is consensual and i think they do agree to it um and I think that that um, the way they protest is more related to, yeah, or it's supposed to like thematically be more about how uh, closeted they are with their sexuality more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, They're resistant to sex in general. Yeah, so I think it's just a thing of yeah, trying to show that more than anything. Sure, yeah, probably it would be different today, but I don't think it's mm-hmm. ill-intended in the way it's portrayed. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Um. um that, yeah, so it's Touch It, Touch It, Touch Me, which is a great song. Um, it was probably one of my favorite songs, second to second to Sweet Transvestite. I feel like this is my favorite song. It's so fun. They don't sing it yet. Oh. She sings it with Rocky. No, that's what's next. That's what's next. Well, first kind off, of, let's say much. that also uh, Frank comes in and does the same thing with Brad. And Brad is also very glad to participate. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Um, yeah, and they're being kind of watched all the time, and then in the meantime, Rocky's released from his little cage bed, which is where he lives. Because uh, he was in trouble. Yeah. Was he not? No, he wasn't. He gets in trouble now. No, okay. yeah, Riff Raff kind of, yeah, he, he, well, basically tortures uh, Rocky because he's a stupid dog-like creature, so Riff Raff kind of does that to him, releases him, releases the dogs onto him, so Rocky gets bitten by uh, angry dogs. A dog. Which is great. <laughs> Some sort. Yeah, and basically what happens is, yeah, then then uh, Janet kind of starts wandering around the the castle, and sees that Brad is in bed with with Frank, smoking a cigarette, clearly post coital <laughs> cigarette. Yes, um, the classic. The classic. The classic post coital cigarette. Um, and she gets a little bit upset, so she goes to Rocky, um, to uh, to scratch her itch, um. Because I guess Frank was not enough uh, that night. Um, Yeah, and it kind of gets yeah, it gets fun. I I like I really like this part of the film. It's um, when it kind of gets to the part where everybody has sex with each other. It kind of happens quickly and without like (laughs) without like any sort of padding around it. They just kind of get to it. It's like yeah, at this point everybody just just kind of has sex, Um, (laughs) and it's great. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. So now we got touch me, uh, touch it, touch it, touch me with uh, Susan Sarandon and, and Rocky, which is basically a sex song about how she wants uh, Rocky to do things to her and how she she's gonna do things. She wants to, to Rocky. be dirty. Yes. Yes. Loads of great jokes in this uh, uh, song as well. Uh, the heavy petting line is probably my favorite. Uh, What's the heavy petting line? Say um, it so she sings something about. She didn't see much uh, reason in getting into heavy petting because it only leads to trouble and seat wetting. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, and then she talks about uh, oiling uh, Rocky up and rubbing him down. It's all great. All in great taste. Uh, Good stuff. Good stuff. And and uh, little Nell, uh, I'm sorry, Columbia and Magenta are watching on the TV, kind of encouraging her. And uh, yeah, it's all great. It's all good times. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the way they're watching it is to me reminiscent of the like sleepover scene in Greece. Um, I mean, they both say at some point, "What does 
they say something and they say something along the lines of like tell me more Jana or something I can't remember what it was but it was like it's almost like a direct quote you tell were me more, tell me more it's almost yeah. like a yeah it's almost like a direct Greece quote and the way they're behaving is like quite it just reminds me of the scene in Greece where they're all like yeah. making fun of, of um, Sandy uh, Greece is a similar year right yeah I think Greece is later so oh is it yeah I think so oh then I have yeah that's a 78 film 71 musical but i don't think they would be uh well maybe but i'd say probably okay scratch that yeah greece copied rocky horror anyways it's i think greece is an interesting film to bring up with rocky horror because greece is kind of it's before the whole free love thing it's about people who can't do that (laughs) who are too pure (laughs) for things like that um I mean, Unless the original Greece is supposed to be a lot more, um, I guess, um, explicit in a lot of the portrayals of what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Greece is very much like um, showing the whole thing of like women can do, men can do this, but women can only do this. Yeah, because like through through Rizzo, who is just like, like well, I can't do this. I'm this, whatever. You know, she has her song. But she's a bit of an outsider. Do. She's definitely not portrayed as a, you know. If she feels like you know the, the film is kind of like oh yeah and then there's Rizzo you know <laughs> Rizzo's, Rizzo's almost it's weird because Rizzo's like almost portrayed as some kind of a villain but at the same time is like like her like there are worse things I could do is like a sympathetic song it is yeah so it's it's interesting you know because it's kind of being like you know what there are worse things she could do like why can't she have a little fun yeah but at the same time it's like be, outside of that song I feel like she's portrayed as like like a yeah. scarlet letter yeah no but yeah definitely <laughs> strange and Greece is a film that's also nostalgic for the past but it's nostalgic of the 50s and you know of the more like conservative American times I think um, and it's also I, I like Greece a lot and I think it's an interesting film but it's very different in, in its approach than Rocky Horror Rocky Horror is about I think engages oh, yeah. with what's going on and it's very modern and very much wants to deal with it and kind of be about you know I, I think it's a film about you know trying to live in the 70s after all this happened in a lot of ways. Greece is about mm-hmm. trying not to live right now. Greece is all about trying to get as <laughs> far away as possible from right now in American history, which is, which is really cool, which yeah, is why they much. fly away at the end. You know, what else are they going to do? Yeah. What else? <laughs> like the, the future There's is, nothing else to do. The future has nothing but terrible things for them. There's no place for uh, John Travolta <laughs> and Olivia Newton-John in the 60s. They have to fly away because otherwise they're going to go to Vietnam and die and fucking, you know, all sorts of terrible things are going to happen to them. So, anyways. Pretty well. I feel like there's in general just like no place for John Travolta. Yeah. Well, but he... At all. Does Scientologists get a planet or something? Does he get his own planet? I don't know. Anyways. Mm. Those are the Mormons. Yeah, they do. Or, That's the Mormons. Yeah. I feel like it's both. Whatever. Somehow. Um... <laughs> somebody gets a planet okay yeah so cool yeah so I don't know we what get that next. and then i think the next thing that happens is that uh dr everett comes by in a very uh mm. a convenient plot uh turnaround turns out that dr everett comes by <laughs> uh dr everett is a guy in a wheelchair he's an old conservative dude uh who's a friend of brad and janet and he comes by because eddie is his nephew He's like, where's Eddie gone? Yeah, he comes in. There's a very funny montage of him. I have no idea what they do to him because he's in a wheelchair. He drives into the castle. They let him in, and they basically <laughs> he just comes in really fast. He goes really fast on a thing. I have no idea for no reason. It is really funny though. For no reason. 
Uh, first, they, they put him in the Zen room, which is basically a weed smoking room, which is also a, pre- a pretty funny joke. He finds a spliff, <laughs> and he's very confused about what the spliff is. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, but yeah, but but he's there, and Frank is very upset and scared because he thinks that uh, Dr. Everett Scott is connected to, uh, I think, a bureau that um, deals with extraterrestrial life, and he's right about that, I guess, and... Uh, because I guess at this point in time, the film kind of expects you to kind of start figure out that they are aliens. Because why not? I don't know why they think why the, I don't know why they think I'm gonna work that out. And um, the first time I learned they're aliens is like I didn't learn that the first time. Yeah, it was not clear to me the first time. I think I, I by the time it got to that point of the film, when I watched it the first time, I was just like, oh, "What is happening?" Well, yeah, because that's and my not, brain was just like, "Nah." The film knows that it's not important. <laughs> You know, it's a science fiction film and they're <laughs> aliens. Who cares? Like, you know, they're not aliens. And that's not what it means. They're aliens because they're different. That's all it means. It's fine. You don't have to worry yeah, about that. Exactly. But anyways, that's how uh, Everett Scott kind of gets introduced into the whole thing. Um, yeah. And then they have dinner. Uh, they find out that Janet slept with Rocky. There's a bit of tension on all fronts. There's a great little uh, funny montage of everybody saying each other's names like three times. Uh, Dr. Scott, Janet, Janet, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> they do that in Glee. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, okay. There's a there's a Rocky Horror Picture Show Glee tribute episode. I am aware of that actually. Um, mm. Have not seen it because I can't watch Glee. This was determined, but I know that they did it. <laughs> Uh, right now we have the dinner uh, scene which is great they have some meat some meat some hmm, some meat i don't know what that meat is but they have a big chunk of meat wonder what that is um hmm, just some meat yeah and they uh they realize they they are eating eddie pretty early on there's like loads of <laughs> jokes that frank makes about it <laughs> which kind of makes it a little bit uh easy to you know to figure that out um and then Dr. Everett Scott, who's the last one to kind of realize what's going on, sings a song about Eddie, which is one of my favorite songs. And it's a song about how Eddie was kind of a, uh, yeah, uh, how do you call him in the thing? Um, yeah, like a no good kid. He just took drugs and watched porn, like, yeah, wanted to ride his motorcycle and read porn magazines. Um <laughs> Which is yeah, just Eddie was just a guy. Which is just the dream, I think. <laughs> yeah, he was he was just a guy. He never hurt anybody. He was Eddie was just kind of like a yeah, like a motorcycle guy. He was a drifter. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. He took some heroin. Uh, he just he <laughs> loved rock and roll. You know. <laughs> he had a he had a cut on his forehead for some reason. Yeah, but in the conservative way of thinking, yeah, Doctor Everett Scott was like, yeah, he was no good. He was a menace to society, stuff like that. Um. And Dr. Everett Scott is a very out there comedic figure in this film, and he's not to be treated seriously in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. <laughs> and he's basically just one big joke, so that's all great. Um, yeah, so that's basically it. Um, I really like that song. I don't know. There's there's a bunch of fun stuff. I really like Columbia's verse in that song, uh, where she talks about how she felt about him, and she says, stay sane inside insanity, which is a nice line as well. Which I guess is, is, is I think a running theme in this thing of like yeah use all this have fun with it try not to go too far I guess um, yeah 
And then they reveal that they are eating Eddie, and Eddie is conveniently placed inside the table with his insides out. It's great. <laughs> is that not what you do? Oh, you're a vegetarian. Yeah. That's what you do with meat. You just leave it in your table. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm pescatarian. I don't eat. I don't eat the, Sorry, the, the meat. I would not eat Eddie because I like him. Um, yeah, and then stuff kind of starts happening and keeps happening until the end. We just got song after song after song. Next one is Wise Up, Janet Weiss. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, Wise Up, Janet Weiss is like <clears throat> probably the one where they just kind of go all out with the campiness, and it turns into like a fucking thing where they go up to the lab. And she turns them all to stone. And then there's this whole line of, you're a hot dog. You're a hot dog. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's, and even on a first viewing, that's a lot. I, I think on the second viewing, it starts to be fun. On the first one, it's, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's, yeah. It's a lot. It's like watching Scott Pilgrim for the first time. At, at one of the, you know, at some point, you're going to have a little bit of an overdose of everything going on. Yeah. Um, I feel like at this stage, because this was still, this was, I, I'm considering this the first time I watched it. This is the first time I watched it as like a sexually awakened person. Yes. And at this point, at this point, my brain was in overload. And like, I'm looking at the, the track list and I'm like, what the, I don't remember half of this. That's a great song. At this point, I'm lit. Fun. At, li- at this point, I'm watching it. I'm just like. Yeah. They're aliens? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff. They're, they're cannibals, they're aliens, what's happening? Yeah, that song is... And not in like a bad way, like I was enjoying it, but I, I just, I mean, what I feel like is that it just sort of was going so fast. Yeah. But how am I going to remember these songs? Uh, but I'm definitely, I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, give it a try. I think it's a, it's one of my most rewatched films, I think, because I just, I, I don't know, I really like rewatching it. I think it's a fun time. Yeah, that's the thing, I really, I really enjoyed it, but I think it's definitely, like you said, it's sort of one of those films that, like, Bears watching again. It's like, I'll see it again. So yeah, there's there's a few different songs. I feel like nothing of huge note happens. It's it's more just kind of like getting there, and he free he like turns Frank turns like Rocky, mm-hmm. Doctor Scott, Brad, and Janet into stone. Yeah. Um, and then next thing we know, they're on stage. And Columbia's doing a little dance with her titties out, singing a little song, and then yeah, it's basically like they they turn them into stone and they put them on stage, and then one by one everybody kind of comes out and sings their part, which is all part of this one big final uh, musical number at the end. Rose yeah. tint my Frank, world. Frank like Frank D D Medusa's to them. Yeah. D that there's like a button that says D Medusa. Right? because <laughs> he turns them to stone yeah um but yeah I, th- I feel like this was one of my favorite numbers as well yeah it's just so fun it's so silly and fun they're all dressed in cabaret outfits they're all kind of dressed like frank and Ferner, essentially yeah. and they all have like kind of funny makeup on and they like one by one come become life be- yeah. become alive again and it's just like fun brad in particular i think in this scene is super fun yeah he's really cool yeah um he's kind of finally like getting loose yeah well, this it's basically a song that kind of brings it all together. It's uh, it's a song about mm-hmm. how, yeah, how they're all like what the journey was and kind of what there are at this time. Uh, Rose tint my world is is generally like you know a, a thing that in the song is about a thing that you have in your life that kind of takes your attention from all the terrible things. And for everybody singing the song, it's something else, I guess. For Columbia, mm-hmm. it's dope. Uh, for Rocky, it's. <laughs> raw sexual urge because that's the only thing he knew 
since he was born <laughs> a while ago. Um, well, what's that line he has? He's like, I'm seven hours old. I don't know what the full line is. Yeah. Do you know that he's dubbed? Like, everything that Rocky says in this film yeah. is dubbed. Yeah, yeah, it's a different singer. Yeah. It's his, I think that it's the same. It's the actor, it's his voice, yeah. but it's a different singing voice. Oh, I think they dubbed he everything, says... actually. Uh, that's what I read. Oh, but really? I, don't know. I think they just dubbed the whole thing. <laughs> they just hated it. The, the, um, the thing says... Um, Trevor White as singing voice. Oh, maybe that's true. Yeah, um, maybe but I mean, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, he says, "I'm just seven hours old, truly beautiful to behold," and somebody should be told my libido hasn't been controlled. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, and Brad is more scared of the awakening thing, I guess. In him, I think it's more of a fear-based thing. He keeps calling for his mom, and <clears throat> like for him, it's more. He says, "Help me, mommy." Yeah, yeah. And for and for Janet, it's definitely a more positive experience of kind of growing into her sexuality. Um, but yeah, but those are all things that kind of seem to be in that context of yeah, sex, drugs, violence, kind of fake things, shows, you know, something that's not the everyday, tragically terrible, mindless, numbing reality. <laughs> of the world that they have to live in because it's the 70s and 70s are the worst <laughs> um, it's true yeah and then it kind of it's interesting as well because I think like Janet one of her lines is my confidence has increased she says I feel released bad times deceased my confidence has increased yeah and it's like one of the things that's true it's like I feel like when women like become sexually active it's almost like your confidence does just like increase somehow yeah yeah true um yeah and she also says about Frank that his lust is so sincere, which I think is a nice line. Because uh, mm. it is. That's kind of the main thing about Frank, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah, it's that it's it's kind of like, like yeah. he's like, listen, I just want to fuck you. Yeah, he's very much like that. Whereas there's kind of, you know, I think with, I guess, with Brad or with other men in general, I, I don't know, it's, there's a conditional aspect to it. Yeah. Especially, I think, at the time where it's, like, her being a virgin was something that, I guess, was valued to herself. Or was, like, you know, virginity is silly, is kind of, but, like, even more so at the time, like, purity was something that was really important. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, lust for someone is conditional, like, on them being a virgin, almost. Mm -hmm. Whereas for Frank, it's like, hey, I don't care. I just want to fuck. He just wants to fuck. Uh, yeah, so then we see, uh, there's like a, yeah, the, the scene shifts and we see the RKO radio tower, uh, uh, behind them and, uh, yeah, and, uh, Frank starts singing his part, which has a few of the iconic lines, like, give yourself over to absolute pleasure and, um, don't dream it, be it, which is, you know, taking all that science fiction, I think, stuff, all the things you kind of watch in the the cinema and how it kind of relates to you feeling happy and open and kind of trying to bring it out in you which is a nice message and a very positive one i think and um that whole kind of feeling of this big number is yeah like a good sexual awakening like a nice feel good um sexy horny thing like you know it's good that you're horny it's good that you're feeling sexy you know embrace it feel good yeah, culmination of this thing. But then, and they have an orgy, basically. Uh, <laughs> they all go to a pool. and In a pool? Yeah, they all go to a pool and basically have a huge orgy. Everett Scott tries to say no, but turns out he's also cross-dressing a little bit with his nice leg. Um, <laughs> yeah, 
He shows us his leg. Shows us his leg, even though he's in the wheelchair. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, yeah, but then uh, we have all this great stuff. But then it turns out that Riff Raff and Magenta kind of come in. And they uh, say they're Transylvanians. And they say that Frank has been uh, demoted as the commander of this mission, I guess. Um, and they're taking over and we're going back to Transylvania because his lifestyle was too extreme, which is the official reason, <laughs> um, which is great. Um, yeah, and then we have a nice uh, emotional, more emotional song from, from Frank mm. about coming back home. Mm. But it turns out that Riff Raff didn't mean that they're all coming back home. It's actually just him and Magenta coming back home. He kills Frank in a pretty gnarly, sad scene. Uh he kills Columbia as well, I think, in the meantime. Tries to rescue him. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he lets the other guys go. Um, by the way, Everett Scott totally approves of all of that. <laughs> as he He's like, yeah. Ensures to, to tell us all that it was fine because those people were no good and they were a, a menace to society. Um, <laughs> which is, and you know, that's an interesting part of this film, which I don't think is kind of remembered or talked to it about. Because this film end, ends on a very somber note. And the end of this film is very much like the reality of the 70s seeping in, I think. Where this whole thing that happened didn't work. <laughs> it, yeah. it died. It was killed off. It was, you know, it was great and was nice. And there was a lot of things that everybody could learn from it. And then and then it was murdered. Um, yeah. I, uh, it's not great. Yeah, it's like, you know, we remember this film as a fun, you know, f- film about having a good time. And it is in a lot of ways. But it ends with with this happening, with Frank dying, with, uh, with the castle going back to Transylvania, the plant of Transylvania. And then the last number, which is uh, just Brad and Janet and Dr. Everett Scott kind of lying in the, in the rubble of everything that happened, is just about them being very confused about what happened and what they want to do now and what they're supposed to learn from this. And the last words... Life after Frank. Yeah. And the last words from the narrator are, yeah, they're lost in space and time and meaning. And that's it. Uh, And I think that's an interesting way to look at the 70s. (laughs) Because that's what the 70s feel like to me. You know, the Vietnam thing was a failure for America on so many fronts. The, the the free love movement dies off. We have all this kind of crazy stuff with the Manson family and all those serial killers happening. It's the middle of the seventies. You are a person who lived through all that. What do you get out of it? What's the you know? What how what do you learn? Did you learn anything? Maybe not. I I think it's a very somber ending to this film and one that really kind of I think is very meaningful in a lot of ways that maybe is not appreciated mm. enough because it makes it modern. It makes it kind of brings it back to the 70s i think more if, if this yeah and it's also yeah. just like it's such a harsh change of tone yeah that it makes it more impactful because it's like oh wait we were having fun it's like no we're not having fun anymore and yeah, that's, yeah it's, it's very like indicative of the time definitely um and th- th- there was yeah that it, that that kind of fun it's great while you're having it but then the aftermath is there. Exactly. Then you have the aftermath and you have to deal with what that fun was about. Was it about anything? Can you keep it up? Mm-hmm. Is there other stuff you have to do? Like in this in this case, I guess the fun is uh, has been ended by a third party. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. By murder. Yeah, by murder. Um, and I would say that the hippie movement was, was pretty much murdered. 
uh, yeah, by the American government. People had to, yeah, I mean, reality had to like re-ensue, I guess, for people. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, you know, really, like a yeah. lot of this had to do with like Nixon and the war on drugs and all this kind of stuff that mm-hmm. was that that inflicted fear in people of what the hippie movement was about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you start talking about the war on drugs and how drugs are harmful and you start policing it and talking about how it's a crime and suddenly people get scared and the whole dialogue changes and you try to bring back, yeah, conservative family values. You know, you keep talking about how great America was in the 50s. You know, it's it's basically murder on a bunch of people who wanted to change something. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is as well is that the more underground something becomes, the more dangerous it becomes. You know, the as in yeah, drugs are dangerous, but if you make drugs even more like... I guess if you make like persecution or whatever for it more harmful, then people have to get drugs in more dangerous ways. Yeah. Or like, you know, more seedy ways. If it's not, if something's not regulated, same as everything. If something's not regulated, it's immediately more harmful. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what the film leaves us with. Uh, and then it's over. That's it. And that, that was Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Beautiful. Great film. Thanks, Richard. Uh, thanks, Richard. So much. Yeah, that's me. We watched this film called The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, we did. In this film, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Mm -hmm. who are you going to fuck, hunt, and kill? Great question, Abby. Well, um, for my fuck, I'm going to go, or the person uh, that I'm most attracted to in the film, um, in a twist. (laughs) No, so uh, um, I'm going to fuck uh, Columbia, Little Nell. There's something about her that I don't know. That works for me. Um, it's the little bit of the high pitched voice, maybe the old school vibe. I don't know. I, I just like her style. The tap dancing. Yeah, the tap dancing is great. Uh, she's a little <laughs> bit like a, she's got a bit of a girly energy as well, um, which I like. You know, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into I'm into Colombia. Uh, that's that's my fuck. Mm. Although probably I would have sex with most people in this film if they asked me to. Uh, <laughs> which is you know. That's just that's the kind of film, I guess. If you're in the world of Rocky Horror, then you just kind of, you know, engage <laughs> with everything. That's fair. Uh, I'm gonna haunt uh, Doctor Everett Scott, uh, and I'm gonna haunt him with visions of debauchery, just to make him sad <laughs> and maybe reflecting. <laughs> I just, I think also I think it would be fun because <laughs> he's yeah, such a weird character. If you just start showing like nasty things to him, I think you would get a lot of reactions, which is great. I'm haunting Dr. Everett Scott. Also a fun person to be around, I think, in general. I don't know. I really like yeah. that character. I, I wanted to come... I, I would like one one Halloween to dress up as him. I think that's a great fucking dress up. You should. Get a wheelchair and just do the you, whole thing. Um, you could haunt him by just leaving joints everywhere. Yeah. He's like, where do these things keep coming from? What is this thing? What do I do with it? <laughs> um, and I'm going to kill... Um, well, I'm sure that's going to be controversial, but I'm going to kill Riff Raff because um, he kind of ruins it all um, at the end. So yeah. he makes me sad a little bit, you know. Sorry, Richard. I know. He ruins you know, the fun. I mean, I don't want to kill Richard O'Brien. I just want to kill Riff Raff. Uh, <laughs> that's what I mean. Um, yeah. Okay. That was mine. So Abby. Interesting. Uh, yes. In the film Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you want to fuck, haunt, and kill? Mache, I've been just waiting for you to ask. Thank you Great. for asking. Um, so, 
I'm going to fuck Frankenfurter. Um, because he's just so sexy. Yeah, well, I get that. He's got that, such yeah. raw sexual energy. Yeah, 100%. I get that. I want to fuck him. Great. Um, <clears throat> then... He, we do, who I, fuck haunt, haunt. I'm going to haunt Riff Raff. Ooh, because okay. I'm angry at him for killing... Um, the object of my lust. Yes. Um, and also because I feel like he'd be interesting to haunt. Like he'd be interesting to observe while also being able to like annoy him. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to kill Brad because he's boring. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of killing Brad. But at the end of the day, I really like Brad. I don't know. There's something about him no, that's endearing. Boring. He is boring. He bores me more than any of the other characters. So he has to die. But he has to be the boring. There has to be somebody boring in this because everybody's. I know, but I can just kill him. It's fine. Okay, that's fine. All right, you killed. You killed. Okay, he's dead. All right, <laughs> killed you killed him. Bill. All right, he's that's dead. all he's over. Um, all right, and that was the episode of Fuck on Kill about Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, Hope you enjoyed it, everybody. We sure did. We sure did. It was a great time. It was good. And uh, yes. yeah, now I'm gonna go have a barbecue. Uh, what are we doing next uh, week? Next week we are doing the hunt. Yeah, we're doing the hunt. I don't know. I, I don't seen know that movie. We don't know if it's good. We next haven't seen week it. we're watching the hunt. Uh, so join us. We've got a website. Um, if you go to fhkpodcast.com forward slash upcoming episodes, or if you go to fhkpodcast on Instagram and look at our schedule highlight, you will see. Um, our upcoming episodes when they're going to be released so and if you go to the website you'll find links to justwatch.com which tells you where you can watch the movie so you can join us yeah it's a handy handy tool in our journey send us email us your fuck haunts and kills for the episode <laughs> sure yeah why not at fhkpodcast.com uh send us an email and just james, like james did yeah james from rate this podcast if you're out there um what's wrong with spotify why do you hate it so much? Yeah. And well, um, I've been Abby. And I have been Mache. <laughs> and we are ending this episode now. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll wash see you next Wash your hands. Week. Wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Uh, be careful be out there and uh, take care of yourself. Be nice to yourself. You are a valuable human being and uh, we want you to be happy. Sometimes. Um, yeah. Alright. Bye. Bye, everybody. Alright, now. Peace out. Now we talk about something for two minutes.